anyway, I had to go to County Lago, 30 days, and I got out, and my friends, like any good military friend should do, um, said, you want to, like, pay rent or get food? No, let's throw a party and invite whores and, and have a gangbang. Hey, welcome back to Four for the Road, everybody. I'm your host, Punk Rock, and we got a very special guest with us today. We've had him on before, um, but I'm going to let Andar do the introduction because Andar knows him a lot better than I do, so... No, I'm just a bigger fanboy. That's all it is. But no, <laughs> we're back. We're back with Jace uh, from Fast Life Garage, and of course, you know we'll put links to everything up um, in the podcast. You can check out if you're not already. I don't. I don't know why you wouldn't be, but you can check him out on Instagram. His YouTube videos, his quality podcast are by far well more produced <laughs> than ours. Um, but anyway, you know, Jace, he came to uh, he came down to Milwaukee. He was getting some work done on his bike, getting the 131 put in. And while he was here, had a chance to come down and have a couple beers with him. And we really got into kind of some good conversation that I know, you know, the rest of us in the club scene and stuff like that have talked about before. And and it's something that we wanted to hit on get a chance to record was you know kind of like what i guess the best way to put it, what direction um our clubs going nowadays and what is the appeal versus maybe you know i don't know if this is the right what are some of the drawbacks or why are some guys choosing not to get in that life and i think you know i'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass at all jace but i think jace is a great representation publicly that you see kind of prominently on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube of somebody that has built what we would call almost a club-like culture without the, without the requirements of the politics necessarily that, that come with the patch. And, and on the flip side of that, I think tragic is somebody that, that talks a lot about what you get in value in return from your club life versus what you give up in freedom. So I think we have a chance here with these guys to really kind of give you both perspectives and, and have a really good uh conversation about it agreed agreed yeah man it's uh it you know i i hate talking about my you know five-year run doing some of the motorcycle club stuff here in texas because there's so much levels to motorcycle clubs you know what i mean from your your rcs to your you know air quote social clubs and all this shit you know going up that you know when i talk about my time doing the club stuff and just being around the motorcycle industry for the last coming up on 20 years now it had its it, it, it was very enticing to me about 10 years ago and <laughs> i hate to say but maybe it was some of that sons of anarchy shit you know maybe it was like finding other guys you know let me preface this a little bit a little bit better i think um when you ride a bike for a while like when you first get a bike it's fucking exhilarating to ride right you're like hell yeah i want to ride i'll ride anywhere any weather condition and then that wears off, and you're like, man, it'd be awesome if I had friends to do this with. And some people get lucky, and their best friend goes into bikes with them, or maybe their best friend's the one that got them into bikes. But a lot of dudes don't have that, you know what I mean? Especially this, like, you know, 30 to 40-year-old range where you kind of aren't partying like you did in your 20s or you are got more responsibility, so you don't really have the uh, – maybe the luxury to go run around and do, you know, hood rat shit with your hood rat friends. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I fucking fought, lost where I was going with that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my thing is, um, at that time it was enticing to me because I wanted to just have a, accountability with my friends that I know they're going to be there for me to go ride, to go enjoy this life on motorcycles. And that's what I loved about it. And it's kind of like in a, it's kind of like a marriage in a sense. Like you're all agreeing to this shit and we're going to do this together. But then 
I know in my club and I know a lot of the other circles around here early on that started that once that new faded away, so did the enthusiasm from the rest of the members. And then it became a, like a, an enforcement type thing. Like you signed up for this, you know what you're doing. You're supposed to be at this ride. It's like, it's almost like, well, at that point, if you don't want to be here, dude, I don't want you to be here. You know what I mean? And sure, uh, sure. I felt like that's where a club went for me in my perspective around here. And uh, I hear a lot of that goes on in other clubs too, but I hate to generalize in that situation, you know, because I know well, I'm not all like that. And so. I think you know something that you've kind of, you know, that you and I talked about was it was younger cats and, and what they're doing. And and so I think here with with um, with Tragic and with Chase, we have two kind of that are at that same kind of polar apex or whatever you will. I think Tragic has one of the clubs, and obviously I don't know every club in fucking existence, but Tragic has a club that for the most part part seems to do okay recruiting younger members and getting younger members to join where we see some clubs that struggle with that um and then jace obviously he's got the guys that are into you know the performance bikes they're into long distance riding they're doing you know they're building garage choppers and stuff like that and they're choosing to kind of stay away from the the mc culture and stuff like that and do their own thing uh, so i think it's kind of we have both dudes kind of with both what you call you know the apex of all of those different philosophies and for tragic you know like what is it that you, you see like is it younger you know when you guys are getting those younger dudes like what are they looking for man you know a, a lot of it is um because there's a wide variety it's, it's not just younger dudes we get a lot of guys you know my age you know i'm 40 now um we get cats who are prospecting who are significantly older um i, I think it's just the, it's the attraction to the type of men that they want to be around and so that's the the same thing as like Jace just said, you know, you get a bike, it's cool, that's and that's all you need at first. And then you want to start riding with other dudes, you know, because then it becomes like a group thing. Um and for me, like I that was the same thing. None of my friends rode. It was just me solo. I didn't have any friends who were also into riding. Um, it was my own thing. And so that's kind of what would push me towards club life. Um, is getting to, you know, with hang out with other guys with similar interests. Um, so yeah, you know, as far as the young guys, what they're looking for, I think they're looking for the same thing. You know, it's that same thing as guys that are into doing what you're doing, living the same lifestyle. And then also, uh, at least for my club, you know, being around guys of a certain caliber, you know what I mean? There's a lot of those guys you meet on the bike scene who are like, Hey brother, what's up? You know, and fucking, you know, wearing the jeans. And, <laughs> Hell yeah, brother! You know, and everything's very superficial and light, and they want to act like the, they're your best friend. And I think that there is a a demographic in, in today's society with it doesn't like that superficial kind of friendly shit, and want dudes that they know are like you know really really there for them. You know, and then that's that, and that's the draw is you know being part of something that is really solid that has consistency to it has depth to it um and isn't just a, like hey we're going to get together and ride on a sunday so, so would you i have, I have a question for like and, and either jace can answer this first or, or tragic can whoever but for both of you like you know for the guys that are choosing to the to stay away from that club stuff you know but are still into the riding and, and all of that like like for somebody like jace you know why do you think guys are choosing that you know they want to ride all these miles they want to you know 
do kind of some of the stuff the clubs are doing, but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to get into the politics and they don't want to get into, you know, some of the, the requirements and stuff like that that comes with, um, with club. Like, are we doing it? Are clubs doing it to themselves? I guess is what I'm asking by put to push people, turn people off. Um, is that something that we're kind of like creating this image ourselves where people don't want it? Like, you know, what? I'm going to ride, but I'm not going to get involved with this shit. You know, the, one of the weird things that kind of popped up in my head is that, you know, uh, a lot of the more, uh, I don't know if it's the correct term is minority bike clubs, like your, your, you know, rare breed, your second to nuns, like these clubs like that. Those are the guys that got me into traveling cross country. Like they invited me to ride with them to something in Florida back when I was big wheel bagger, Jace. And <laughs> I had a blast, dude. Like I had a blast traveling with these dudes. And, and that, that really showed me where for me and my club, we were like, trying to be you know we, we were friends but then it, it it changed from being friends to oh we have this this brand now on our back that we have to try to promote it became like this weird business you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so when you start mixing business and friends you get different people like it, it, it's kind of a weird thing because like i'm a very hustle-minded business guy like if i'm promoting something i'm living that shit so you know thoroughly and put and and just putting it out there but other people just want to do it on the weekends you know what i'm saying um, riding with these, these, like the, the club I rode with was a uh, 10 toes down. I think they're still out there. Um, you know, like most clubs, uh, one club, and then it sprouts <laughs> into a hundreds of other ones and stuff like that because of directional differences and things like that, or just opinions. But, um, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I, I actually don't remember your question. <laughs> no, I was going to say, so it was kind of like, you know, like, like, from two different perspectives, like from yours and from tragics, like motorcycle clubs today and the protocols that we have. And, and of course the politics that we can't really seem to get away from. And sometimes, you know, you get a lot of things in return, but sometimes that shit's overbearing. Like, let's be real. Sometimes some of it is just is cumbersome. Are, are we hurting ourselves and attracting different types of guys like, like yourself or younger, younger members? Uh, you know, to touch on something real quick. Uh, one thing I do love about you guys podcast is I love the the history and that's one thing that me and you, Dave, talked about uh, while I was in Milwaukee is that that research and showing that history of the bike cultures and, and all this shit was, like, very fascinating. But I always – I often wonder, is that more of the draw to be a part of a club is what their lineage is or is it, like, where they're going? And that's – the hard thing is it's easy to look at the past and what this – what a number of these amazing clubs has lasted for 50-plus years have done to create culture – definitely shape motorcycle culture but then my question becomes and it, i guess it's still kind of similar to what you're just asking both of us is what's you, you can't really do anything i would associate that outlaw shit that we all fantasized about that, that, that these clubs took place i'd i think that the most outlaw shit we could do nowadays is do some van life stuff you know what I mean? just like that's the most off the grid kind of vibe feeling when you watch those old movies and you see your your, your club you know, mobbing from town to town and causing mischief and, and mayhem and fun. That's the shit that I think most of us want to be a part of, but we can't do that anymore. You know what I mean? There's too many cameras and credit scores are a thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, tragic. So, like, I mean, do you think, like, you know, we've as clubs have, have hurt ourselves in recruitment? Do you think it helps to keep people away that we don't want to join anyway? Like, what are your thoughts? I think society's shifted. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with what you see on the media, you know, uh, like as my club is an example, you know, if you Google it, 
all you see is fucking bad shit and, you know, lawsuits and, you know, just bad coverage, right? And so any reasonable person who saw that would be like, why would I want to be, you know, why would I want to deal with that hassle? Why do you want to adopt that problem? Yeah, exactly. Why would you want to inherit something like that? Um, and the only way you do that is through personal interaction with those guys and, and really seeing that what you see on the media, what you see on the news is not what you get. Um, but it takes having a certain kind of open-minded kind of way of, of being willing to, to meet those guys and take that risk, you know, yeah. and say, I would say the same is, is that for, for a lot of these guys across the country, they're looking for opportunities to go let loose and find like-minded people. I mean, what our campouts have provided and these little small events that we we've been doing, they've been growing to where our first campout had like 50 people at it. Right. And we were stoked because at the end of the day, my best friends are there and we're drinking and partying, whether there's 50 or 500 people, yeah. you know what I mean? So that's the way I think about a motorcycle club. Like you think about the origins of them and I don't want to talk history cause I don't know it like you guys do, but I'm just assuming here that it usually starts with a core group of really good friends. You know what I mean? Or family. Uh, and then it, then you, you, people see that bond or they see that, that charisma that you guys all share together. And that becomes enticing to be a part of, I want that type of friendship. I want that type of, of interactions with friends and humans. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I think the initial allure that both motorcycle clubs, when you see behind that curtain that the media puts out over you guys and what we get to do openly, because we don't really have anything talking, you know, throwing shade on what we do you know what i mean and i think we the same appeal that you have to to just going and hanging out with your buddies and doing with on your you know with your buddies on the same level what we do with our club brothers but without the hassle right so it seems like you know you're getting the the best of both worlds you're getting the camaraderie you're getting the writing you're getting all that dedication at the same time you're not dealing with the same hassles the same stigmas you're not being banned from bars because you're wearing colors. You're not dealing with the politics of having to interact with other clubs and, and all the stuff that goes along with that. So uh, we had a bet. We were talking about it. Uh, and I was going to say that, you know, when you came on, Jace, that your answer was going to come down to why the motorcycle club thing isn't your thing is going to be freedom is what I figured. Uh, that was my guess because you can do what you want. You want to get on your bike and you want to go ride through five states. You can do that. No phone calls, no nothing. You can just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's there's trade offs for it though. You know, I, I might have to do other things and, and consider other things, but I also have a commitment from the guys that I ride within a club that you know, it, and not to downplay anybody else who has just guys buddies because yeah. there are guys that you know don't wear a patch and they are closest you know brothers. You know, they're they're that tight. But when you put on, you know, it's the difference between when you put on a wedding ring on your old lady versus she's just your girlfriend. You know yeah. what I mean? And so when you put on that patch, the commitment level goes significantly up. Um, and it's that dependability, that accountability, that reliability that I think is separates it. For some people, not everybody wants that. They don't want to have to be that accountable. You know, they don't want to have to change their life for something like that. You know what I mean? Well, and I think, too, you bring up, like, I, I'm assuming that, you know, Jace probably has a group of people that if he called them because he broke down at 2 a.m., they yeah. would come get him. And I bet you that in that group, and, and, and that probably goes for a lot of people that 
you know, they have that core group that if they broke down, someone's going to be there. And that, you know, as time goes on or things change, that might shift and maybe less people come to your aid or maybe more, whatever. But I think when, when you go through the process, if it's done correctly, when you, when you kind of have that, that, that probate period or that prospecting period and you're earning that patch, hopefully from, for the, the, the legit clubs, um, yeah. you know, when they earn that patch, they've said like, okay, every person wearing this patch is exactly what I can count on at 3 a.m. And of course, obviously, somebody's going to listen to this podcast and go, there's one time this thing happened. Yeah, I got it. But for the most part, when you put that patch on, you are saying that I am that brother that you can count on at 3 a.m. Where independent guys maybe have a couple of those. You know, the idea is in a club, you should have a few hundred of those. And again, I know people are going to say, you know, it goes this way and that way. But I think that's kind of some of the appeal for the club stuff is that, you know, I now have somebody that shares the same ideals and values that I do as far as being there for each other, us against the world. And again, I'm not saying that, that, that an independent doesn't have that, but it's just a different level sometimes for, yeah. for the club guys. There's a, there's a part of it that, um, you know, when it comes to club worlds, one thing I've always been a fan of, and uh, I love it because in a club, you can be completely open, open, with this and saying, look, this prospect period, this hang around period is basically a chance for us to get to know you and kind of shape you in a sense, not like change you as a person, but kind of really, I mean, it's what it's doing. Like you're getting, you're, you're showing them the way of your life and they're putting in the effort to earn the right to do what you guys do or wear a patch or be a part of your, of the inner circle of that club. And we all know that a lot of clubs uh, probably, don't do that due diligence the way they should. And then you get problem people in these clubs, you know? Um, Do you think, do you think it's harder for somebody, you know, for an independent to wade through some of the bullshit versus finding a legit club and that turns them off? Well, man, everything, everything is hazing, man. You, you haze your friends in high school. You haze your friend. I talk shit to my buddies now that I just met this weekend on this polar ride. (laughs) No, no. I mean like, like, like as far as like you mentioned, like some of the clubs out there that are kind of trash or whatever, do you think that turns some people off? Like, all right, I've met five clubs that were garbage, but you know, so now I'm going to give up and and just be an independent versus, you know, the sixth club you meet could be your home. Like you think that some of the trash that's out there turns people off? Yeah, I, I would say so because at the end of the day, I think naturally weaker men are going to look for an easy opportunity to the to the glory land, right? Weaker men, meaning that they are going to they're going to choose this based on price, opportunity, ease, convenience, all these things that I want the person that is my best friend not because we just conveniently live across the street from each other and we happen to see each other every day. You know what I mean? I want my best friends to be people that I've shared miles with, shared experiences with done some dumb shit together survived it (laughs) and we're playing the next dumb shit trip you know what i'm saying like there's so many there's so many people out there and it happens like dude i I get i get big money guys that want to come and hang out with us and they think because they have money that we're gonna just let them into our they're all welcome to be a part of what we do but when there's a table of me and my real closest homie sitting over there like they're not just gonna be able to sit there with us you know like like the Mean Girls movie, I guess you'd say. <laughs> yeah. They get stuck at the kitty table. We try. I try to be very inclusive to everybody I know that wants to. Uh, you know, it's kind of a weird one for me, right? Because of my podcast and my paint and my spot in the industry, I get treated a lot differently than some just random dude on a bike would at an event, at parties, at this, at this. So it's like it, it's kind of different for me. 
you know, but I understand because I wasn't, I've been riding bikes longer than I've been a guy on Instagram with followers or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? And I remember back in the day, just being the guy that was at the biker parties at the, at the anniversary parties and all that shit, just trying to fit in or figure out my spot or my place. And, um, like I said, a lot of the, a lot of the, the clubs I noticed in, I understand how hard it was to get quality members, people that had the ability to do the things that you want to do as a club. Like one of the biggest reasons why I left my club is because my club couldn't travel like I, I was right. So I'm traveling all over the country. And the other big reason why I left the whole club world in general is because I'm from Dallas and y'all remember Waco, not the, not the David Koresh Waco, but the other one. Well, when that happened, um, all the powers that be that I had to go through to be an MC were kind of, not they were involved in that but in a way where they didn't they weren't the banditos anymore they were another club and they got wild here and i didn't want to have anything to do with that because i just wanted to ride ride bikes and drink beer and have fun you know what i mean i wasn't trying to go pick up guns and and do all that shit so i and then of course i i traveled so much to california and i was occasionally doing paint jobs for ha members up in norcal or you know, all this stuff. And I just didn't want to be connected anymore. You know what I mean? I just wanted to ride my bike wherever the fuck. And, uh, you know, well, and I think you bring up, you bring up a good point. Um, you know, the politics, there's politics to consider when you put a patch on your back and that can be from the smallest independent mom and po- not independent. I'm sorry. Uh, the smallest, you know, like one chapter mom and pop club to, you know, a large national club, support clubs, military clubs, fucking yeah. Jesus stroking clubs, like all of it. Like when you put that patch on in, in certain areas, you may have more politics to deal with than, than others or whatever. And that's a consideration to when you put on that patch. And like you said, for somebody that's attracted to just banging miles and stuff like that, like there's probably shit that's going to get kind of old to them really quick. Well, people are going to get old of this, you know, like I, I, I had a conversation with the buddy over this weekend. I said, you know, I'm stoked to see 80 dudes out on this ride, you know, to Shreveport, just a party like that. That feels awesome to know that we all started kicking at a bike night. And three years later, we've inspired campouts across the side of, the, of America. We've inspired, this this friends group that's nationwide that's fucking ridiculous. We all ride across the country together to hang out for a weekend, like like a club. You know what I mean? But what I what I was telling my buddy is like, you know, four years before I met you guys, I was doing the same shit that I'm doing now. I just it, those guys lost interest. You know, I can ride to California every year for the rest of my life and have a good time and not feel like ah, I'm over it. You know what I mean? So for some of us, the shit just is a wow factor, and then it gets. I think that some people just get used to it or they, it doesn't have the pill anymore or they get an old lady and now they don't have time to go be a biker anymore or whatever the case is, you know, it's like, and I just kind of accepted the fact that, you know, this is, this is a shitty thing to say because it's not giving my friends now the credit because they haven't proven me wrong yet, but I'm okay with having best friends that phase out of my life because they change their perspective of what they want to do. Cause I'm pretty, I'm pretty narrow-minded with my path in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, see, and I think that's why, for me, like, that's the draw of the club is that it's hard to earn, so it yeah. means something. You know what I mean? So there's no there's no loss. If, you, if you're in a – and this is also part of, like, you mentioned earlier, you know, like, smaller clubs, you know, the qualities – and I'm not picking on smaller clubs. There's a lot of fucking down smaller clubs or whatever, or younger clubs. Um but, you know, most clubs within their first five years fail. 
and that's because they they slap on the patch and they then come across you know the hard parts of it there's difficult yeah parts to it there's you know the rules and whatnot and so they find out that the commitment to the lifestyle doesn't match you know the yeah. conviction um and so that's why joining like an older club you know you got these guys they put on a patch you know uh, most guys in my club that's a lifetime that's a lifetime yeah. commitment you know what i mean and so i know that when i you know god if i'm if i'm lucky and I make it to you know my 80s, and I'm still riding and able to. Then I'm still going to be going and doing the same thing when I'm 80 with yeah. you know with my club, with the youngsters and the other old you know graybeards. Is there is there an, a tragic for you? Is there an attraction to like I think Jace mentioned it earlier, the historical aspect of it being a part of a club that's been around for so long and knowing that you know like you said, if you live to your 80s and you're still riding around, like being that, I feel like maybe. I don't know anything else in this in life where we kind of respect our elders um, like we do in the motorcycle scene, like like people that have come before us, whether that's building bikes or club guys, like we really hold them up here. Is that an appeal to for you to it's a part of that club life? Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I want to say I don't want to sound like I don't respect newer uh, clubs because I do. You know, there are there are new clubs I know who are holding down and doing a good job. But there is something to be proud to 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 say that you're part of a club that's been around for 50 plus years, who has a tremendous amount of history, who's had the strength and ability to take everything that's thrown at them um, and still stand the test of time. And then know that you're considered in the same caliber of man as the men who came before you. You know, that that association, that history, if you don't love the history of your own club, if you don't look at your previous members and are thankful for everything they did to what they did so that you could wear that patch. You know what I mean? That there's a huge romantic, uh, romanticized level to it of that history. You need to love your club's history. If you love your club. Um, and if you don't, you know, which is hard with the new clubs, how can you, there's no history there. I, that's, yeah. that's one of the things that, that I think for me, I love the most like about the like the older clubs and the more established clubs is that history and to to join something like that and to to still have a, a little bit of individual individuality to where I feel like I'm bringing something new to the table not new to change the club but like I'm carrying the torch now like yes. that is a good feeling you know what I mean and and my one of my best friends man Zombie Mike he's a booze fighter he's been that for a long time and he said he said it on one of my first I think number three podcast I ever did three years ago now. Fuck my bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> he he did it like he, he said, you know, he's in one of the oldest clubs in America or the oldest club in America, whatever the fuck. I don't know. I think it is right. Um, he said, I don't want this to die on my watch. You know I mean? That's, that is a, that is a sad thing to think that, that, you know, this club has been around for X amount of years. And then all of a sudden my generation is the one that fucked it up. And now, that's not to say that this generation or our generation isn't going to have very difficult hardships as to figure out how to carry the torch. That's, I think, the responsibility of current people in clubs. Um, but like I said, I wonder how much young people have, you know, any real connection to history. Do they really give a fuck? You know what I mean? Or is it all like I want to have a patch on so when I go to the bar that does let me in, I get to be a hard ass, you know? Dude, I think that's probably an appeal. Like, like you said, you put that flag on your back and you, you know, for somebody, maybe depending on what their background is in life and you, 
you know, how they were brought into the club and stuff like that. Like that's an ego boost. Like let's, let's be honest, you put that elite patch on your back. If you're, if you happen to make it, that yeah. definitely feels a certain sort of way when you go somewhere and get that acknowledgement. And I think, you know, as you know, for somebody like tragic, like, you know, how much pressure do you put on yourself to be the gatekeeper of that patch? Um, you know, I, I look at it like this, you know, and, and I think all clubs should is when you're wearing that patch, you're a representation of your club as a whole. So, there is a lot of responsibility that goes along with that. You know, every time, <clears throat> every time I come on this podcast, even though this isn't, you know, a, a, a my club's podcast, I have to think about how I'm going to say something and how I'm going to conduct myself and how I'm going to represent them. Even though I'm not doing this on behalf of my club, this has nothing to do with my club. This is my personal views on biker culture. Um, I still want to make sure that I conduct myself and show myself in a certain way that people know that that those are the kind of men in that club. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. And there's guys who just want to put on a patch and walk into a bar and get instant pussy. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen for some guys. Sure it does. But you know what? When you walk into a bar and you're wearing a patch of a club that has that history, that has that caliber of men, it has that reputation uh, it's a lot more than that, you know, that one you guys decided to throw together over a weekend. Yeah. You know, because yeah. you want to just go, you know, shoot the shit and, and play, you know, and play the club life. So I don't know if that answers it directly, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of weight on there. And the worst thing that I could ever do How- is somehow disrespect my patch by not conducting myself. Yeah. How do you feel like, you know, I, I know a little bit, I guess, about how. There's a lot of things that, that that clubs don't want to put business out on the street, especially like marketing, like well, not marketing, but like there's a lot of shit you don't want to put on Instagram. Yeah. It's not it's bad stuff. It's just that you don't want this out there, right? And um, how do, like it, it's kind of like the only thing that still travels by word of mouth. You know what I mean? So to, yeah. to, you have to see it to believe it to experience it. It's not something that you you know most of the most of the videos or or, or media you're going to catch on it is going to be from the other side of the fence where it's not throwing the best light on it. Right. But it's, it's not flattering. And that's the, honestly, that's one of the biggest contributors of why I do this is to give people an inside of, you know, of, of what a, what a guy who, you know, is in a club like this, you know, I don't speak on behalf of it, but you know, it, I, I feel like I allow a certain amount of my character to shine through when, when I post, when I write things. Um, and when I answer questions in the inbox, you guys who have questions, um, you know, and it's important. And also, you know, you mentioned earlier about the weight of carrying your club forward, you know, right. So I just, for me, I have a guy that I've just brought in as my first club son, you know, that is a fucking tremendous amount of weight and responsibility. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you're doing something for the betterment. So you're, you're picking who you choose to bring in, you're a lot more discriminant, um, and that's how you that's how you do it. That's how you, yeah, keep the, the the positive going to keep the good history. Is you know, be discriminant on who you're bringing in. Make sure you're bringing in solid dudes, not just grabbing every Tom, Dick, and Harry who wants to throw on a patch and look fucking cool. So I have a, I have a question for for Chase. Um, you know, obviously you are a more out there representation of the independent biker. You have the business. Uh, you have the Instagram, you, you have the podcast and stuff like that. Is any of that same stuff that, that Tragic was just talking about kind of 
carry over for you too? Like, you know, when you have the fast life campouts or when you, you know, when, when you and your, your boys are in Sturgis or when you're building a bike or, or painting helmets, if somebody's at an event, like, yeah, I know Jason, they get fucked up <laughs> and beat somebody up in that bar or at that bike event or something like that, because you're kind of a, a well-known figure in the bike community. Is that something that, that you consider your reputation, I guess, and, and who hangs around you? Well, that's why, that's why I have more of an inner circle of friends that I do like when we do our cross country trips, it's not like an open invite that anybody wants to hang out and do it because, um, you know, I'm say, for instance, I'm coming to San Diego to see, you know, one of you guys, I need to know that I'm bringing five solid dudes with me that ain't going to tear up your house, you know, respectful people. So it's the same, it's the same process. Like when you're finding friends, you're vetting them. You're like, Oh, I like this dude. Like, you know what I mean? And it's a, it's a privilege to live in a, in a city like this in Dallas-Fort Worth where there's millions of people. So there's millions of people and opportunities. But some dude living in Kansas, you know, might not have the same opportunity to, to build a group of friends the way we have. So a club might be a little bit better of a, a stepping stone to find people to do that type of stuff. Because they don't, you know, there's not probably not a bike nights in fucking Salinas, goddamn Kansas, Kansas or some shit. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah. One of the main things is about, I mean, it's basic friendship stuff, man. It really is. Like, if you got that one buddy that always gets in fights at the bar, you're like, man, I don't really want to go fuck with that dude tonight. I'd like to just have some beer and make it home safe, you know? Or same thing, like, uh, you know, like I'm married, and I don't hang out with a lot of dudes that are, you know, most of my homies are married or whatever. So I'm not putting bad positions myself to where I could fuck up. You know what I mean? So it's just, you just find people that fit your, your narrative. And. And our friends group is anywhere from I'm kind of one of the oldest, but I think we have a 40 year old dude that hangs out with us quite a bit or 44 or 45. But Whoa, dude, we have like 20, 21 year old dudes that are coming and partying, riding with us. And they're and I'm stoked for them because I'm glad they're finding this now. Some of us had to wait till we were 30 to find this type of friendship and this type of camaraderie, you know, and and I think when they see all of us consistently doing stuff together, they feel like, fuck, man, I want to be there, too. You know, and it causes problems for people's relationships, just like any club would and stuff like that. But, I mean, it, in so many ways, everything we're doing is so similar. It's just that one, there's a flag, and then the other one, it, it's it's like a it, – it's just a meetup spot, basically, or, you right. know, going to somebody's birthday party or fucking whatever, man. Like, it's, a, it's weird, but I'm still unique. Like, what I found is unique. I know that everybody else in, in America might not have um, – as many friends and you know my biggest goal is to uh like we just talked about with the clubs and carrying and passing the torch on my goal is that same advice i took from my buddy zombie mike and is to leave the motorcycle industry and as much of the culture better than when i found it you know what i mean i want to make more grassroots events and show people the good times about bikes and biking and kind of avoid all the dick swinging contests that happens with uh, the custom motorcycle industry um and, you know, just give people, like, the bug of traveling on their bike, man. Like, when you have a homie in a different part of the country, it's like, that changes our route. Like, well, shit, man, like, we're going to California, we're going to New York. Man, we got to stop and see our boy in D.C., uh, at least party with him the night, you know. Even if we're just sitting in a hotel parking lot drinking beers, I want to do that instead of, you know what I mean? It, it just it You don't like have that. to worry about the the, not the political lines, but the... The, the lines of the, really the lines of anything you can just go, this yeah. is the route and this is what I'm doing. It's that, that freedom to just decide. Do you think, 
do you think that any of the you know all the bylaws and all the all the really set in stone ways of the clubs do you think that in time changing or adjusting these things to fit the times is, is a i don't know if it currently takes place or not but it seems like you got to kind of adjust to keep with the times and keep with things you know what i mean not no, not so much taking away who you are and the laws that create who you are but kind of how do you evolve you know what i mean i think for clubs bylaws is um you know, it's not di- any different than like the the founding documents for like our country. There's a certain aspect of it where they're set in stone for a reason because those are good qualities to have and keep and maintain, mm-hmm. and they hold you accountable to to doing that. Uh, but clubs do need to also adjust to the times too. You can't just keep doing things the same way. You know, you do have to allow some leeway. You can't always say like, and I'm not anti-traditionalist, but you do have to do some growth. Sometimes you need to say like, hey, we used to not be able to do that. Like a lot of clubs used to not allow social media at all. Yeah. Now now you have to. It's impossible. It's it's out of growth. You know, it's just there and, and now you need to use it. So now what you need to do is adjust in how you use it. You know, how yeah. to use it properly, respectfully to make sure you're not doing stupid shit online and, you know, setting a bad precedent. Um, guys out of Facebook chat rooms. That's for damn sure. Right. Um, so, Jace, I got a question for you because, you know, it sounds like, I mean, all in all, we have a lot of similar views on it. Yeah. You know, your, yours is just, uh, you know, it comes down to from what I'm what I'm hearing is, you know, it's less about the the patch on the back and it's more about the individuals. Right. Actions in the individuals. Yes. Yes. And we do the same thing with with our club, because in order to get that patch. You have to have those actions and those individuals. Do you think that if when you were younger, and I don't know which which club where you, you know, what you started with, if you had first started with maybe a more long-established, you know, club that had more depth history, more structure to it, or whatever it is, a different intro that you would have stayed independent? Or do you think that you would have been kind of uh, compelled by that history and those those working model because a club that's been around for a while has something that works. That's why they've lasted. Well, when I was in my early twenties, man, I rode sport bikes and a lot of that was because the Harley culture didn't appeal to me the same way. You know what I mean? Like the sport bike dudes were just ripping, having fun and you know, this, that, and the other. And it's like, you know, I worked in the industry still. So I still saw all the, the kind of the inner workings that would come around the shops that I worked at in the motorcycle industry. So, but I just, I wasn't appealed to the uh, Harley culture at all. And my stepdad growing up was a uh, part of a, a club here called the Banshees. And so I grew up going to field parties and all that shit back in the eighties and looking at the easy riders while they were all drinking in the fields and shit, you know, and um, it just didn't appeal to me yet. You know what I mean? It, for some, something happened about 10 years ago where all of a sudden, like I got, I got exposed to like Harleys aren't the most expensive motorcycles in the world and you can find them cheap. You know, but when I was 21, dude, I was buying like a Honda F4i and shit, trying to do wheelies. Like I, I would, that was appealing to me. Yeah, you know? there's no competition. Young guys couldn't get expensive Harleys. Yeah, it's fucking impossible. And that, and that was like 2004, so that's coming off of the the very expensive Harley culture of the 90s, right? Where, which created the custom bike culture of the early 2000s. So. It, you know, a, an old Softail was still going for fucking eighty nine hundred bucks, and it was a eighty four Evo or some shit. You know what I mean? Like that, it wasn't really a lot of cash bikes, at least not for my broadcast. You know what I mean? But um, you know, and I think I think you bring up a point. Like 
something to ask you, like, does your business considerations, does that have anything or did that have anything to do with the club stuff? And I think there's been some, some historic examples of dudes that were in very major, uh, large clubs that, you know, their business kind of became and their ability to put food on the table would have been hindered by staying in that club. And, and so they left, um, to, to kind of grow their business. Is that something that was a consideration for you or is a consideration? Cause obviously motorcycles is how, is how you provide. Yeah, I mean, honestly, man, like, and, and it sucks because I fall under the statistic that uh, you said earlier about the uh, five-year plan because uh, we ended at our five-year anniversary, <laughs> our little club we started. And, um, man, honestly, the my business, because we do so much in motorcycle scene, it always has helped do whatever I'm doing. So when I had the club, it helped the club, and the club helped me, you know. So um, that wasn't a big deal, but – like I said, the real difference is when I'm in a club, I'm I'm a different I have a different expectation from the people, the brothers, air quotes, um, than I do with the, my friends. Right. My friends, if they don't show up to one of our hangouts, it's no big deal. Right. They're not obligated. They're not. You know, they're not being forced there, man, you know, mandatory type stuff. So it's like I get in this mode in my head where like, yo, like I, I, I want this. I want to feel the 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 compliance, if you will, you know the, uh, and I get that way. I'm like, I don't want to be there. I don't want that. I don't want the fact that I'm here with four other dudes, but Ricky didn't fucking show up. And what the fuck, dude? I'm pissed off at Ricky. He knows he's supposed to be here. Like that changes my mind for the rest of the night. And I'm not a, I'm not, I'm an asshole for the rest of the night. Rather than like, oh, if I'm just hanging out with all these guys, we're just friends. Oh, Ricky couldn't make it. Uh, I hope he's. All right, whatever. You know, it's just a different mindset that it put me in. And now that I'm not like in a club, yeah, I do have standards that I want my closest friends to be there for me. But also, if they can, it's no big deal. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to promote this brand or this uh, this lifestyle. Or I am, but it, it like I said, when you have a name behind it, like if this was the Fast Life crew, that's <laughs> damn near a club at that point. You know. But what about the, like the, the, the fast you can allow slides for friends? You can't, you know, it, you could like, like you could let a girlfriend, like an anniversary with a, a girl you just start dating, slide. It's not that big a deal. It's not that heavily commitment. But you know, miss your your tenth anniversary for your wife, and there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah, it's that accountability to those kind of situations. Also, you're describing too. Do you want that guy who is over it? To show up just because it's mandatory, you know what I mean? No, because you know what that guy sucks now. Like I mean, not not on his fault, but yeah. he's not gonna have as good a time. You're not gonna have as good a time. It, it shouldn't be forced. We we've had guys that kind of started hanging out with our little, you know, I'm for lack of a better word, I'm using inner circle at, for it. We had guys that's come and gone. You know what I mean? And there's no hard feelings. Like like they were hanging out and they were at everything, and then they kind of just went on different paths in life. And when we see them, it's like, hey, man, how you doing? What's up? But because they don't contribute to that daily table, that food on that table daily that we all do. I mean, we're in a group chat, which that's a whole other topic is fucking group chats these days. Um, <laughs> but we're in a group chat, and literally the moment we wake up, there's chimes going off from 15 guys that, you know, for the most part are probably some of the 15 closest friends that I have now. This started at a fucking bike night. You know what I mean? And it's like. It's all good. Some people come in and then some people leave and it's like this revolving door that just feels 
like there's I'm not losing anything or I'm, I'm definitely gaining from their their friendships and their perspectives in life. So it helps me kind of become a better person. But um, like I said, I'm not I'm not in a fucked up mindset where I'm like enforcer mode, like you're supposed to be here. You're, you know what I mean? We're trying to do this and we need you to be here to to tell, you know, to, to give us your opinion about this next thing. And blah, 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 you know what I mean? Just it sounds like the structure of it is that once you're in structure, you take the structure very serious. So leave the structure alone or else it's going to get, you know, yeah, build resentment or cause issues. Keep it light and loose and then nobody gets hurt. Yeah, it's like we this past weekend we did this little ride. But the night before we did the ride, we sat down with all our homies in East Texas and we, we OK, where do we want to ride to? Where's our two week trip this year? You know, we sat there and we put all our ad- ideas on the table and figured out a date leaving here. OK, how's your OK, you got vacation now like. I'm stoked for that. Now in three months, we have a two-week trip planned to Maine and all that shit. That's what I want to do, and, and I'm sto- I'm excited. There's something to look forward to with this group of friends. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, doing those big trips like that, like I, if we take 10 dudes, it's a, it's a pain in the ass to do 10 well, dudes. Or, yeah, it'd definitely be hard to do 10 dudes, but. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not what she said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's hard to it's hard to book rooms, you know, because you get in a point where you almost need three rooms per per stop, and then it gets very expensive that way. And Airbnbs become harder at at ten people versus if they're just three or four. So there's a lot of planning that goes into doing these things. But what I try to do with our campout, man, is I try to get people to come out who who you know, for lack of a better term, Instagram is this new place, not new, but it's a it's a place where people can actually take action and make friends, right? So if you live in a part of the country where you don't have this type of bike scene going on, you could just ride to this one. You know, it's not I mean, it's in the middle of the country, so it's a thousand miles away from everything, you know, so that's a good ride. Let's get people to it. Let them experience this stuff, make more friends. They they might not become my best friend, but there's so many other people there that are doing the same fucking thing that they're going to make other friends. Right. I have a, um, a question. So what do you think at the at like? The campouts and stuff like that, you know, just the one that you do down by you. Um, you do it at Adam Sandoval's uh, campground, right? Your your yeah. specific one is there, right? Now, would that be open to club guys? Have you had club guys show up before? What do you think the reception would be like for club guys that want to come oh, out there? So I've had people reach out and ask about it. And I was like, man, I don't care. Just don't come in here thinking you're – just come here and be fucking cool. And that's my – that's – like I said, and, and I, I hate to generalize because that's exactly what I'm doing. It's like I don't want a club dude to come in there, and he has to represent himself and his and his brand or his club that he's he's behind. Um, but at this, I don't know, man. Like it, it's it's not that we don't allow it at all, and I know that Adam Sandoval doesn't have an issue, but it's it's just about like if you get a whole bunch of one club together, there is this kind of like put it like this: we were at the club this weekend on this ride. And it was all of us downstairs at the dance floor before all the locals and the people in Shreveport showed up to party. Well, as soon as they started funneling in, there were certain guys in our group that you could see the heat coming off them. They wanted to just smack some of these dudes and fight them because the, we had this solid group. And now these other, all these people like right in between it now, you know, whatever reason they have to want to, you know, just violence becomes something fun that people do so once they have beer. What you're saying is that everybody in Shreveport is an asshole? Pretty much. <laughs> I'm a big proponent of, uh, you know, events allowing clubs in with their colors because we get we get stopped from doing that a lot. 
but I do see the the downside of it is is like you said is if there's an event and there's no colors and everybody's just getting along and you know it's it's all co mingling right yeah yeah everybody's friendly you're making Everybody new friends when it shows up we're not like that it's not that we're not friendly but we stick to our own for the most part and so. And then there is the public perception of, especially depending on what kind of club or, or who your club is, if they're approachable or not. Now, whether that is a true perception, if it's, you know, I'm, as, I'm real approachable. I might not look it, but I'll give almost anybody the time of day and sit there and bullshit with them. But the perception of me when I get seen is, oh, that guy's, you know, he's a certain way. If I go and try to talk to him, you know, he's going to fucking punch me or stab me or do whatever, which is the furthest from the truth. So... I do see the the ups and downs. As a club guy, we want to go where we want to go and wear our stuff, and, and that's it. The other side is I can see where the public perception is, is those guys aren't talking to us. They're doing their own thing. They're taking over the event, you know. Well, there, there, be, there also becomes a deal where it's like most of us, civilians, if you will, we don't know all the protocols. We don't know all the, the, the chain of command of who I can talk to first. And it's like when you come to an event like that, it's almost like, Guys like me and people that aren't in clubs, like, look, man, we're not drinking that Kool-Aid here. We're just here to party and drink. So if you guys don't want to party and drink, then I don't, I don't know if like what, why would you want to be here then? You right. know what I mean? It, it, so like I, I said, think, that, I think that the clubs that that people are attracted to and in in some of the older clubs, I think that they understand that for the most part. You know, and I think when they see, other than you going up to somebody as you know, like you said, a, a civilian, and being like what's up dick breath like i don't think that mo- i think most guys understand that that you probably you know you don't know what's going on you're just trying to be cool and and share a beer whatever you know whatever the case may be and that i think the dudes that are legit shouldn't have an issue with that like they should they should like welcome you in and and you know if you're at their event like you know hey thanks for spending a buck whatever like i said you know i think it's it's either a it's the clubs that maybe are not righteous the clubs that maybe are not above board you know or it's that independent that went up and called somebody a cocksucker and got knocked out and and now he's he's on the message board telling boys about it and and there's both there's guys who come up to me all the time and want to talk stuff that's not appropriate. You know, they want to talk club rivalries. They want to talk yeah. sons of anarchy style fucking conversations. They want to, you know, and you know what that guy, like, I just kind of blow him off. I'm not rude. I'm, I'm, I'm polite. And then, okay, you know, have a nice day and, and blow him off. Um, and that's how most clubs should deal with that guy. That guy is just someone, you know, you, you don't, you don't need to take him serious. You don't need to set a precedent, you know, and be like, Hey dog, this is what happens when you come up and ask yeah. dumb questions. On the other side of that, you know, there are certain things where you come up, like you said, if you come up and start telling a guy, like, and you'd be surprised how often this happens. Some guys coming, oh, you guys think you're badass because you have a patch, you know, and, and they come up confrontational because they look at it like, like a club guy thinks they're better than them, and they kind of have a chip on the shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, that's and then and then that's when legitimate shit does happen. So there's a balance between the two clubs. If you're going to an event, hey man, friendly. So the fucking whole point for. Yeah, that's why that uh, it, it I I can you, you kind of illuminated something to me that I I really it's on on the perspective of, of the outsider it's very hard to probably know where to begin that conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where where do you even start it? Like with with a guy in a club, and I think that's why some dudes do inappropriate shit. Like talk about things that you know, like I don't want to talk about this thing yeah. that happened in the '80s or the '90s or whatever or 
what they what you read on TV or I mean saw on TV and read in a book or whatever the fuck you know it's like. But most people don't know what to say. It happens to me all the time. It's like they think because I'm a painter or whatever that every time I see someone, I want to talk about paint jobs. It's probably the last thing you want to talk about. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like dude, like. And, no. that's, and that's the same thing with club guys. If you see a club guy, come up, introduce yourself, and talk to him like a regular dude. Don't start trying to ask him about his club politics. Don't start trying to ask him about – don't ask him how long he's been in the club. Don't ask him how many chapters he has. Don't ask him how many members of chapters. Don't ask any of those questions. Just come up to him and talk to him like a normal guy, like he's not in a club. You're aware of it, but it doesn't need to be the focal point. Exactly. Yeah, that's – that's. like I said, it's just those, those nuances that are hard to kind of uh, – you know, I'm trying to like picture like if, if there was a club at, at our uh, camp out, like how that would go down. Like I feel like sitting, staying around the fire, drinking beers, like I, I feel like that'd be easy. But what happens when another club shows up, a different one? You know what I mean? Like that's where it gets kind of weird. It's like, okay, are we, yeah. are we all hanging out today? Because you know what I mean? Like what if, what if this club and this club don't quite get along, you know, like. Perfect example, um, Giddy Up. You ever heard of Giddy Up? Uh, it's, a, no. it's a chopper show uh, down here in Texas. It was put on by uh, club members and uh, chopper guys. So it was like five people that put the club on or put the uh, show on. Best event I've ever been to in my life. So much fun. And the first time I went to one, one of my good buddies here, his best friend, um, he was like the life of the party at this thing, right? Great no. dude, fun, ro- road bikes. Got drunk, had a good time. Well, the next year he joined a club, and he was a completely different person because he obviously couldn't. I didn't really think he acted inappropriately, but you know he had to measure himself everywhere he went. And all of a sudden, he also inherited those issues that that club he and he got with in the other club in the area. So now all of a sudden, he can't be there at Diddy Up drinking around the campfire and party with us because of some beef that took place thirty years ago. They got to go fucking, you know, have a standoff or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? That's a weird. And that's, and that's the that's the pros and cons to it because there is that stuff. Anybody who says that there's not, you know, those rivalries, you know, don't exist and don't. Anybody who's there for it, even if you're not involved with it, it's going to make you uncomfortable. It's like if you're sitting there and mom and dad start fighting in the fucking kitchen during the holidays. You know, like this sucks. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like this is tense. Yeah. Um, and so in general, I think with clubs need to do and be respectful if they want to be included more and some clubs don't some clubs don't give a fuck about being included yeah um, we do our own thing and we don't want to go to your event or whatever um and even if it's an event that's no colors at all you still know who's who because yeah. you know everybody's got their uniform they have their soft colors also yeah you know it, the right thing to do is uh you know just stay in your corner and, and let it be and don't fuck it up for everybody else let people yeah. enjoy the shit um, and that's something that needs to be passed along from from older club guys down to the younger guys um, because it's the younger guys that are going to be more prone to to you know like man when you're young and full of testosterone it's you want to fucking yeah. kill everything so you know what I mean like uh, you know just passing it around it's time and place for that kind of shit and it's not at a civilians party and fucking it up for them or else you're not going to get invited back and you're going to ruin it for everybody else yeah. Like I said, man, I, I'm not opposed to to it, and I'm not opposed to you know, um, uh, I'm I'm not opposed to it. It's part of the motorcycle culture, and that's one thing that you know I wholeheartedly love, and I think that everybody should have a little bit of investment into understanding it. You know, especially if you saw, if you call yourself a biker, 
you don't have to be in a bike club, but you know, like there's, there's some good books out there that I've read from different clubs and you know, whether they're all factual or not is, you know, it's up for debate, but some of it is factual and you know, it's good to know about these clubs and where they came from. And it's, it's, it's a real history. It's a real lineage of motorcycles. You know what I'm saying? So that part I do dig. And I, man, I'd love to see more people like, I'd love to see clubs evolve, you know, to something that is very palatable for everybody today. You know what I mean? And, uh, but at the same time, it's like the shit ain't for everyone. And that's fine too. That's the crux of it. That's the crux of it is it's not for everyone. And that's why clubs gravitate to just their own. Cause they're like, these are the dudes I want. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, they might be friendly with everybody else, but they're like, but those other guys, you know, cause we have a saying for every 10 hangarounds you get, maybe one might, might end up actually prospecting. So you get a lot of, a lot of guys come So club guys are kind of jaded on people in general, you know, just, are you that quality of guy that I want to invest my time in? And so yeah. then when you find the ones that are, you know, those are the only ones you want to invest your time in. So it is kind of a shooting yourself in the foot at the same time you know, uh, enhancing your own personal circle. Well, I think, you know, we talk about a historical aspect too. And like, you know, in the early days, you know, clubs have have been evolving. And I think, you know, the better clubs um, out there, they do a better job of evolving than than some, you know, what a club looked like in the twenties versus what a club looks like in the, in the forties and what clubs look like in the sixties and what they'll look like in 2030 is going to be different than, than what it is right now. And I think, you know, the motorcycle club scene for the most part, you know, does a great job of blending history and, and tradition with progression. And I think, you know, the, the clubs that succeed and continue on the test of time are, have kind of had that master's degree in that. But I think, yeah. you know, talking about, you know, some of the stuff too, in the, you know, we look at like the forties and then the fifties and the sixties, we see kind of a shift from that mom and pop racing sweaters. We're going to Harley and factory, uh, Harley and Indian factory racing teams to more of that. You know, we want to be left alone. We want to be inclusive. We don't, you know, we don't want to be inclusive. We want to be kind of separatist and, and we're, we're kind of anti-society or anti or, or anti-mainstream. And we kind of want to do things to push you away from us um, into now where, okay, well, now we want to control a little bit more of the narrative rather than just bad publicity or bad media. We want to say, you know, hey, we're not all fucking monsters and, and this is kind of the percent and control more of the perception. And I think it comes down to the same thing with bikes. Like, you know, just listening to Jace's podcast and, and talking about your history and where you've come from building bikes from crotch rockets and big wheel baggers and FXRs and Dynas to, to performance baggers. You know, now I feel like today's scene, we're seeing more guys building bikes that – you know, they're not club guys where in the sixties and the seventies, a lot of those pioneers were club guys. When we think of the Tom Fuels, we think of the Dave Manns, you know, we think of different guys building choppers and, and stuff like that and influencing the culture where now, you know, we have guys that maybe know a little bit about the motorcycle club scene, but they're not, there's not as many club guys, you know? Well, there's those, there's those like stunt crews and crews yeah. that are, you know, professional riders that are sponsored and that's where you get all these, you know, kind of like performance, you know, uh, like these, these are, you know, legit, like professional, um, well-known groups. And they, they, they skirt the whole politics of having to be in a club. They still have their own group. They have their own names, but they're showing what, you know, the kind of work like the Jace does off, you know, these guys always have the fucking bikes that are the tits, you know, the best performing bikes, the best looking bikes, you know, and it's, and that's why. I think that's why that's popular now too is that non-club 
just writing group um, thing that you get nowadays. Yeah, man. Um, it's just wild. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's uh, the other thing about like I, I try to talk to people about this in a very almost like like high talk. Like I just smoked weed and I'm like fucking, you know, why is the earth round or some shit, you know? Um, <laughs> there's a lot more people in the world today than there was in the 50s. So it's like, you know, you I think motorcyclists back in the day probably had to click up a lot more just because it wasn't really an accepted form of of a uh, of a culture i mean to to my knowledge it wasn't very uh widely accepted and that might have been because of numerous things but um you know nowadays with motorcycles becoming so mainstream and it really happened in the in the 90s man like when you got arnold schwarzenegger walking around on a fat bo- fat boy and fucking brian bosworth all fucking glistening out there with his muscles and shit riding around like that shit makes every working man you know every doctor every lawyer you know quote unquote these guys that aren't really bikers they, that make them want to get into this world and it got very uh the motorcycles just became very mainstream over the last 30 years you know it's always been around but like you can actually be a millionaire in the motorcycle industry now you know what i mean and that's not really something that was a thing back in the 60s and 70s unless you were one of the motor companies. You know what I mean? You could probably put a, a graph chart of the popularity of motorcycles matches the same popularity of tribal tattoos in the 90s. If all of our forefathers and shit would have taken condoms to all these rallies, we wouldn't have as many people on the planet as we do now. They all forgot to bring the rubber to these old rallies. Yep, yep. That's a, that's a good one. But no, and I, I think too, like I said, I think now we have where clubs in the in the in the day racing clubs, whether it was you know like factory racing teams, you know there were still clubs that came out of that in the in the twenties and thirties, or whether it was clubs in the fifties and the sixties influencing what what choppers would look like versus you know the garbage wagons they used to have back then. I don't think that we have as much of that influence now. I think it's like Jay said, it's a billion dollar industry, and guys can become millionaires with bikes and sometimes being in a club can take away from that. Now I know there's guys that build bikes that are in clubs that are still successful, but it's not as prevalent as when it was guys just getting together and, and, you know, parts came in a basket, everybody got in a garage, you put a bike together, you ate a thing of spaghetti and that was the club. And now guys can, can put food on the table building bikes. And I think the club dynamic has changed. Somebody, I don't know if it was tragic or, or Jay said, you know, we've kind of gotten away from, the era of everybody, the communal era, like everybody's going to pitch in for a thing of spaghetti. Somebody's old lady's going to cook it up and that's what we're going to fucking eat tonight, which is great. And we still have some of that, but now we also have guys in clubs that are six figure dudes that are making substantial livings and also living that club life. Like it's not, it's just not the same as it once was. Yeah, it's not. And uh, you know, the, the, the one thing I will say about the club culture is they definitely, they definitely have always influenced, uh, you know, I mean, think about all the movies from the, the, the 60s and 70s that, that depicted, you know, California motorcycle culture. Like, it, it's almost like that was the social media to spread the message of yeah. motorcycles and popularity. And then you get your David Manns with his art and, um, you know, Tom Fugel with his bike building and Ness and Denver's Choppers and all these people starting to build stuff. And it's like it really shaped the custom chopper scene that has evolved into performance baggers. For, for, you know what I mean? Like that's the evolution of custom, you know. I think that the MC culture uh, is definitely like we steer the motorcycle culture. 
So clubs get into a certain thing, a certain trend gets into a club, certain clubs get into, say, for instance, performance baggers or performance, you know, dinos, um, certain styles, and then that's what's emulated, you know. Same thing like with our patches and stuff, you know, the, the clubs have these patches, you know, and then all of a sudden Harley Davidson and other, cl- you know, clothing, motorcycle clothing brands started emulating the patches that people wore on their clothing, you know what I mean? So we set the precedent because the club is this romanticized version of the the ideal biker life and then the rest of the culture kind of wants to follow along um and and then just you know that's how it gets that's how it gets set up you know yeah agreed minus yeah, the shirts and the, the <laughs> some other dickhead came up with that shit well and i think too like you know like you said the 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 wanting to be a part of it without taking that without taking that leap um, you know, you might not have the painting skills or the mechanic skills to build a bike that Jay says. You might not have the ability to prospect and earn a patch like like Tragic does. But if you have money or if you go somewhere, you might be able to buy a patch that looks like Tragic's. Or you can put it on, wear it, and pretend like you are that person. The same thing, if you have money, you can go out and buy a bike like Jace might have and pretend and you can lie to everybody and tell them that you did that. Or or whatever, and feel like you're a part of that culture for a minute, you know, whatever it is. I think that's that's attractive to some people. That's emulation. Early in this podcast, I said that one of the things that that the funny thing that happened in the late '80s is credit scores became the thing, and and it's a joke, but it's a, it's it's real, man. Like when I was 21 and I was painting, I would paint all my buddy shit in the garage, and we would do exactly what you're talking about. You know, homeboy would buy the paint, I'd do it. He'd buy the you know, the Dr. Pepper, I didn't, I didn't drink much when I was a kid. Uh, he'd get Dr. Pepper, and we'd just hang out in the garage and paint and fuck off all night. You know what I mean? And I missed that. But then responsibility kicked in. I couldn't afford to give away a weekend of my life for free. You know what I mean? And that, that part I wish was not like that. I wish all my boys had all my paint work, my helmet paint, all that stuff. Because it feels good to see your work on somebody you care about uh, on their bike or their head. You know what I mean? But, I think clubs have, clubs have changed too. The, the seven days a week of living in a field is gone. Guys now are holding jobs. Like, you know, tragic is, I think tragic said earlier, you know, you have to win, you have to be a breadwinner to, to afford to be in the club. You can't yeah. just be yeah. that drifter anymore. Like, you know, we used to see more freely in the, in the sixties or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying about the, 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 you know, credit score or whatever. It's like, there's just like to, to have a hiccup. I feel like now, um, you, you, your whole life can crumble pretty quickly, you know, especially if you're living like most Americans where you're, you know, just trying to survive and get everything paid, sure. blah, blah, blah. you know, but back then maybe, you know, like my mom or my dad telling me these stories of shit they did when they were a kid and just doing dumb shit. And I'm like, if I did that stuff now, there's no way I would, I would, I mean, you get a felony now for the, oh. the dumbest shit. You can't get an apartment. You can't get in a job. Like, it really fucks up your life. You know what I mean? So it's like there's so many of these little small things, yeah. you know, that, that can really just hinder your ability to have a decent life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the – we talked about earlier. You said why adopt all the baggage that comes along with that patch? You know, and that's like one of those. Like, Because um, you can still just hang with your boys and do your boys thing. But if I put on that patch, now I get targeted by law enforcement. Now I can lose my job. Like a simple bar fight with a bunch of your friends could fucking end up nothing. A simple bar fight with me and my boys, I'm getting fucking gang enhancements. I'm getting street terrorism. I'm getting assault. I'm getting attempted murder. I mean, they'll throw the, everything. 
at you and all of a sudden you're looking at 15 years for doing what the guys just did last week with no patches. Yeah. So that also puts a stranglehold on do you want to inherit that fucking, you know, that trouble? Yeah. You know? And I think that's something I enjoy about like like this podcast and 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 talking to you guys and and everything else. You know, like we use we use Ken as an example a lot because he's he's the club dude. He wants to be in that club. He's looking for, you know, his next that good fit, you know, that family fit for him, yeah. and, you know, that he's somebody that's a perfect example of, of weighing the benefits like tragic talks about like that he gets from being in a club versus some of the things that he would give up that maybe Jace has. And I think, you know, for, for people that listen to this podcast, if we do one thing, well, it's not to sell you on a club. It's, it's hopefully to help you understand that first of all, we're not stabbing everybody. Um, we only do blow occasionally and the, and, and there's, there's, there's freedoms, there's, there's freedoms and there's great things that you're going to get from being in a club. And there are a shit ton of sacrifices and, yeah. and tragic can't weigh that for you. Jace can't weigh that for you. I can't only fucking only you can. And in your situation. And so, you know, I think that's what I love about getting to talk to you guys and, and doing this shit. Ultimately, you know, when you really, break it down they're 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 very similar to lifestyles it's just like 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 tragic said earlier it's just uh a few little minor differences that that kind of you know like i don't expect my friendship that i have with these 10 15 guys to be something that in 50 years our kids are like carrying that torch you know what i mean like right. it's not the same thing as as like you guys you put in all this effort it's documented it's wrote it's it's written in the history of this of this club and uh, your your legacy kind of lives on through that club. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. something that, like I said, there's there's so much romantic shit about a fucking club. It's I get it, I get it. You, oh. you can probably you can probably talk some talk some guys into doing that stuff. And I I've definitely have when I left my club, I thought about getting in another one or or finding one that did the stuff that I wanted to do. But man, like then FXRs happened, and that changed my life. I met people that that were much more influential to me and where I wanted to go in life. And that really helped me steer my life in another direction. So I guess like, FXR and, and performance baggers and Diana's like, you know, are you guys like clubs where you guys have to go to war with each other and, and who's better? No, we just talk no. shit online. The lion doesn't acknowledge sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You know, they're Dyna Bros watering down the culture. Man, you know the 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 thing that we deal with, and I and maybe you know, not what I deal with in the motorcycle industry um, is probably something that you guys deal with in clubs that that also pisses you off. Is that like we have a lot of people that just come in for a short while because this bike is popular, and then they sell it next year and get a boat or they get a fucking side by side or whatever. Like they never really cared about it. But for us industry guys, like we kind of need those dumbasses to come buy this shit from us so that we can make money, right? Yeah. And then uh, we'll buy their bikes back from them for pennies on the dollar, and then strip it down and put the motor in something good, you know. But the thing is, different bikes kind of different bike scenes in my in my experience kind of breed different types of dudes. You know what I mean? And uh, certain guys, not and I'm once again I'm generalizing. Not everybody's this way, but. When you would see a lot of big wheel bagger dudes at a at an event, they all kind of seem to emulate each other. You know, like they all drink Michelob Ultra or some shit. You know what I mean? Like it's just like this vibe that they put off. And then you see a it's couple, yeah, it's an image that like you next next thing no, you don't even know that you're kind of adopting this image. It just it it just like creeps up your skin. Next thing you know, you got Vans and tall socks on. You're like fuck, <laughs> I didn't even know I did this. You know what I mean? I, but I have a Dyna, so I guess 
it's part of it, you know. Yeah. And it wore off on me all of a sudden. I'm wearing Simpson helmets, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I had a Dyna. Yeah, uh, they didn't give me with the Dixon flannels or the tall socks because you know. Uh, but I, the one thing I've noticed, like in the whether it's it's motorcycles in general, club or not, like we want to be. You know, for the most part, we want we think anyway that we're like this own separate entity. We're our own society, and we, you know, maybe guys that ride motorcycles didn't quite fit in elsewhere, and that's kind of why we got into it, or whatever the case may be. But we will fucking eat our own. Like we will eat our young. We will eat our own. Like if you are a performance bagger guy and you come to an FXR jam or something like that, somebody might try to clown you. And it's the same thing with I did that. <laughs> I've never, I've never FXR experienced jam. that. And uh, you really don't get that when – here's the deal. Like performance baggers, Dynas, uh, the newer soft tails, the FXRs, while if you had them all sitting in a room, they'd all say they're different. They're all the fucking same. They have the same riders on the bikes. It's just, man, I want to try an FXR. It looks fun. It's not yeah. like an FXR guy's going, man, that big wheel bagger is fucking just – it's just calling my name right now. It's a different style of bike. You know, like I can appreciate a nice Vikla soft tail. I, I think they look amazing. I'm not really into that bike. It doesn't really cross over to the type of riding that I like to do, okay. right? You can ride all these bikes we just talked about pretty hard and aggressive, and that's kind of how me and my friends ride. I can't really do that with the Vikla and long fishtails and air ride and all that stuff. You yeah, can't yeah. really do that with a big wheel. So it's like we're all buying into the same narrative. It's just that we all have a few different chariots that we use to take us to this fucking show. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like me picking on sportsters all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those dudes fucking ride too, man. Like it's it's a butt of every joke, man. But perfect example on my way up to uh, Milwaukee, uh, and I've said this on my podcast a few times, so I can I can say it here for the first time. Uh, I left St. Louis and halfway up, I think it was in Springfield on on the highway. I pull over to get gas, and at this gas station, there's a road glide with T bars on it. I'm like, that's fucking rare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, it's yeah. not a common thing out here in the Midwest and stuff. So. Corner right there. Had I had to talk to him, like, hey man, uh, what's up, man? Like, who are you? Because <laughs> like it's a small world, right? Well, turns out this dude's a, he has an FXR, uh, but he had he ended up getting a bagger because he wanted to do more miles and he wanted something a little bit more reliable. And it's not to say the FXRs aren't great bikes, but they're thirty fucking year old bikes, man. Like you're gonna have to work on them. You know what yeah. I mean? And this these baggers are fucking. Plug and play, you know what I mean? They're the easiest bike that, that that's available, you know what I mean? So this guy's into all the same shit and follows the same people online and does the FXR jam, and he's on a performance bagger. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's the same group of people. It's just we're kind of trying different bikes, you know what I mean? Except for there's one outlying group, which I used to fucking clown on them also really hard, um, and I didn't even know this was a thing for the longest time, but guys taking uh, V-Rods, and turning them into performance V-Rod baggers. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. There's a whole thing about it. I thought it was lame as shit. I'm actually kind of a fan if I could fit on one. <laughs> yeah. If I could fit on one, I would actually check it out. But, yeah, everybody's going to clown on that one. <laughs> Man, the, the, all this bike stuff is about, like, being, you know, inspired by people. You know, other bikes are, hell, dudes, man. People doing rad-ass shit is inspiring. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've seen... A diner bro, I've been riding through California and some diner bro rides by. I'm like, that dude's got some swag, man. Like, I'm kind of, that dude's fucking cool, man. Like, I want to have a beer with that guy. His bike is looking pimp. His fucking shoes are nice and got the best vans out there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know guys don't like to say that shit, but I mean, fuck, man. Like, we do that stuff. You yeah. know, we look at guys go, man, that dude's got some fucking, he's got some, 
some pizzazz. You know what I mean? So what do you think, what do you guys think the trend's going to do? Are we going to see, you know, our clubs going to continue to attract younger talent? Um, are more guys going to go the way like like Jace and, and kind of be independent and stuff like that? Like, like which way do you think it's going to go? Uh, man, it, it's really hard for me to say because I don't have enough. Um, the only way I could I could say it is if I was to generalize and say that you know think of all club guys as this one idea of who they are in my mind, and that's not fair to them. You know, and, and every individual club and how they're run and how they operate. Um, it's I think that it's gonna it, you know obviously I think more people like what we do is gonna grow because it's an easier fit. It's kind of an easy thing to get into. You might not you know, be in my inner circle, but you can be a part of everything we do. And all, there's no price to that admission. You just got to show up to get a club. Go, I think it's going to go more Jace's way where it's groups of friends um, without, unless, unless, you know, the guys over at the motorcycle, uh, motorcycle profiling project are able to get something done nationally that we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Because of the stranglehold and the constrictions and the, and just the national, uh, the inherited bad image that makes that a deterrent for someone, you know, uh, you know, not wanting to inherit, having to deal with all that bullshit, um, you know, because what Jace is talking about is basically living a club lifestyle without having to to have a, a patch and maybe not as you know many hours committed. So where's the where's the 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 pro and con on that? it's a pretty thin margin, you know? So unless unless we get better changes like that, I see more and more going less club and more, more independent group writers. The other good thing is that we all get to carry guns around, (laughs) especially in Texas. In Texas, it's all fucked up. It doesn't matter. They, even if it's legal, it it is, but if you have a patch on and you have a legal, leave legal uh, carry, they still charge you. Yeah. They lose, but they charge you the money of having to go through the whole process. All fucked up. So Man, without, I, without I let it, I see it going more Jace's way. I don't want to see clubs uh, get desperate to to continue to grow or anything like that. Like I, I literally our our industry, I say our industry, our 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 culture needs clubs because clubs play a role in helping uh, usher in a, you know styling ideas, uh, lots of things. They they're always I, I think they always need to be there. You know, and I hope that. Uh, you guys or whoever the powers that be that are trying to work on fixing some of the uh, profiling, like you said, I hope that they can get some headway with that so that if anything, you guys can get a restart and and uh, maybe bury the hatchet with certain things. That way people can move forward and start wor- uh, building for tomorrow instead of trying to repair the past. You know what I mean? And that's I think that's hopefully that's what happens in my in my opinion. Maybe, like, we, 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 maybe we can get Jace hooked up with the MPP. But I think too, what we're gonna see <laughs> is if is if there's less people that are are inclined to, to get into MCs, you know, maybe some of these clubs, these smaller clubs and stuff like that, that have been kind of a a, a can't. And I don't want to sound like a fucking boomer, like oh, all these new clubs are bullshit. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all, but. You know, we've obviously seen where dudes are taking the path of least resistance and they're they're maybe popping up clubs or joining clubs that we wish would go away. And maybe if the talent pool gets smaller, you know, we'll get back to something like, you know, and we don't need to bring back everything about the 60s and 70s, but maybe we get back to where it's more exclusive and there's less clubs and people are joining more larger clubs and you're getting more quality dudes versus – 
you know, now, and again, you know, I try to talk against this when we have people on the page that, that, you know, say, you know, talk shit or whatever, like, but it's almost sometimes like everybody's on Oprah and it's like, you get a patch, you get a patch, you get a fucking patch. And, and maybe we can get away from some of that. Well, well Bro, you know, it's funny. Really, how many really times do we get yeah. the inbox? In the inbox, some guy will hit us up with, you know, their club drama and there's some small brand new club and they're, you know, asking for our advice. And it's like, look, at, if you had just gone with an established club to begin with, got taught right from the beginning, built off a foundation that's solid, you wouldn't be asking us how to fix this fucking minor drama that shouldn't even be an issue that doesn't become an issue in any other club other than ones that are fledglings like that. I think a lot of people, uh, they want to be chiefs, and the world operates by Indians. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I know a lot of dudes, and myself, I, and I'm guilty of this, because that's the reason why I went to create my clo- own club route rather than joining something. because I've always kind of been a chief in my circle, and it's not because I want to be. It's just my the way I, I, I am. You know what I mean? And if I joined a club, I would have had to be an Indian, which I've been an Indian plenty of my life around people that I need to learn from and grow with. Um, but I think that, you know, the weirdest thing about when I was doing the club stuff is like, that was the biggest problem is like every, when, when, uh, what's the, uh, what, what's the page, uh, you guys work on, um, or for the road, Oh, the other one, the, oh, uh, the one that we left, yeah. uh, sucker free. Yeah. That, when that popped up, that was in the middle of my part of my time in clubs. Right. Yeah. And it was like gospel for everybody, you know, just listening and seeing or seeing all the uh, the stuff. But I know that some people didn't like it when it came out because they didn't want all the information out there. But, dude, clubs were popping up ridiculously strong out here. So it's like when you're in that bubble of the club world and you're going to like a COC meeting or a fucking here we got this thing called the chain. They may. I don't know if they still do. Um, you're like, fuck, man, there's a lot of dudes here. It's a lot of people into this, yeah. you know. Um, and I don't know if it's still that way, you know, with the pop-up clubs and the, and all those type of things, but yeah, I mean the, the only incentive for doing your own club rather than joining a new one is that way you don't have to have the baggage. I mean, that's the only drawback other, other than that, like definitely. Yeah. My my stance is always of the guys that want to start a new club instead of joining an existing one is usually not wanting to humble themselves down to prospect. Usually it's, it's fear of the idea because when you hear about it, and I've written about it, when you hear about it, it sounds demeaning. It sounds shitty. It sounds like you're like, I'm a man, and nobody's going to ever tell me what to do. Um, and it's just a, you know, I've talked about it at, at length numerous times in articles, but it's not that. It's it's showing that you want to be part of something. It's humbling yourself. And, and again, for anybody who's listening or one of our readers, prospecting, and I am like you. I'm a fucking, I'm a chief. I'm not an Indian. I don't, I'm bad with authority. It's the biggest growth I ever got uh, as a man, other than like going through my teenage years and you know learning to become a, a man, <laughs> the most growth in the 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 best thing that ever happened to me was prospecting. Mm-hmm. Humbled me, and, and and it definitely does, like you said, mold you and, and help you. And I think that's a fear that a lot of people don't want to commit to that. You know. Yeah, I mean that's the same fear. While probably a lot of people don't want to go to the military, they don't want to go through boot camp. You know what I mean? They don't oh, want they, to, might, they might knock out their drill instructor the first time he yells at them. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate those dudes so much. Yeah. Too hardcore for the military. Yeah. Those guys. 
<laughs> but I think like 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 Tragic was saying, uh, you know, I think even in the military too, like the best leaders that I've ever had and, and the best club guys that I've ever been around are dudes that had no problem starting at the very bottom and, and coming their way up to wherever they are now. If they're in some sort of leadership position or position of authority, again, whether it's military or MCs, it's it's because, you know, they humbled themselves, like Tragic said, and now you look up to them because of what they they put in and what they've accomplished. And I'm sure it's probably, I'm guessing anyway, uh, the same way in, in building and painting. Uh, you know, I've listened to Jace's podcast before, and he talks about people that, you know, either he worked for or is inf- or influential in his career, whatever the case may be. You know, it's the same thing, like finding somebody that you respect and, and learning from them. If you can't yeah. do that, you're probably, you know, going to try and start your own shit or you're going to be a cancer on whatever you're involved in. I don't care if it's fucking pick up basketball or, or MC shit. Like if you can't learn from other people, you probably suck. Well, I've always thought that being a great leader is about being a great follower because you have to learn how to be a great leader and uh and you have to make mistakes and so you know and you have to learn for those and you and but you can get a cheat sheet if you just fucking listen being a follower means you're in a listening position right when you're a leader you're more in a talking position so you're it's hard to learn when you're talking <laughs> you know what i mean so some of the, without giving away some without giving away club specific business or whatever some of the brothers that i've spoken to some some ogs that i have the most utmost respect for and have learned from are guys who have told me, man, hey, I was in trouble this many times, and it's a shit tote. It's it's a lot, and I'm yeah. like, holy shit, you were in trouble that many times, and they're like, yeah, and then they pass along what they learned during that time frame. You know, it, you fuck up and you learn and you pass it along. Yeah, and it, it helps. You know, you help. You can get a lot further in life when you when you you know when you see that business that says combined years of experience of all the people that work there like we've got 150 years of combined experience well 150 employees yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) if you think about that in terms of like your club or your 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 circle that you surround yourself with like i've always said like i want to surround myself with people that i respect not people that i just uh i'm trying to fluff up my friendship numbers you know what i mean so my crew of guys that i hang out with are all dudes that when they speak i listen you know what i mean and they I'm not like their leader, you know, I'm just, I'm just one of them. You know what I mean? And that's why I I like that aspect because yes, I might have a different position in motorcycles than they do. So I may can't come off as the leader of my group or whatever, because I do take charge at a lot of things, but I'm not the leader, man. Like it's a collective of ideas and those ideas have helped me become a better man, uh, by being around these guys who are also great men, you know, and, Vice versa. I have a, a, a kind of related to that. Are uh, are Lance and Galen? Are they in the group chat? Or do they get the, do they get the, the fast five text now? No, they they didn't. But you know, they are they are an inspiration to me and to my friends here because we can only wish that we could have what they have. You know what I mean? A friendship that long and to still be doing rad ass shit right now with your best friend and and your wife and his wife and seeing your, your, your friend's family grow. Like that's a, that's, that's something that I highly admire and respect about Galen and Lance and, uh, and they fucking party, man. When they came down here, we rode through Texas, man. Like I wish that they could show that shit on their fucking YouTube video because it's way funnier and funner. Well, and you <laughs> know, something that, that I've shared, like on the page and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I've, I've written a little bit about my journey and stuff like 
leaving a club and then looking at at another one and stuff like that and the, and weighing the pros and the cons and some of that stuff comes back to the videos that you see whether it's you know it's fast life whether it's uh you know two lane life or, or whatever like there was an instance you know something i thought about they were down in texas and you guys uh went out to this barbecue spot or whatever and they're like yeah. doing their outros or intros for their videos and they're kind of out outside the bar back a little ways, but you can see the crowd behind him. And there was this, this, this older gentleman looked like a world war two vet or something like that. He's wearing his, his VFW cap. And he's sitting at one of those tables that was outside the bar after you guys had just gotten yeah. done playing yeah. with his wife or something like that. And, and, you know, to me, I was like, dude, that's the shit I want to see. And I'm not saying that, that club guys can't do that. Club guys absolutely do that and can do that. But I was like, dude, this mom and pop, this, this 90 year old couple sitting at this, this birchwood table and in, in wherever you guys were in Texas, I was like, that's the kind of shit that, that, you know, am I prepared to not maybe necessarily give that up, but have to schedule club events, club dues, club runs, stuff like that around when I want to go and be immersed in that. And, and I don't know if I've answered that question yet, but you know, that's definitely a consideration when you see stuff like that. It's like, man, where's your heart at? Like, and you know, I, I tell tragic all the time. I want to come visit him and I want to like ride through death Valley at like at night <laughs> where I can't see shit. And like, and just be immersed in that and stuff like yeah. that. And are, club, are club guys doing that? Yes, absolutely. But there's more considerations before you do that. Yeah. Well, it's like I, I tell you guys all the time because, you know, it comes up a lot of times people ask, like, what's the difference between a 1% club and a, you know, a non 1% club? And to me, it comes down just to commitment and dedication. But that doesn't mean that you give up all of your life for your club. You really don't. And if your club is fucking righteous, they're there with you through those things. You know, your family functions, your brothers are there with your family functions. You know, my, my, I have a brother who just had a, uh, just had a son, just was born. I'm blowing his fucking phone up every five seconds. What's going on? Is he okay? Do you need anything? Can I bring you something? Because they wouldn't let anybody in because of COVID. You know, the, these are, it's the family you choose. Um, and so that's not hard to balance. It's, it's not hard to balance family with family. Yeah, it sounds like that you guys, I mean, obviously your club is uh, very established and whatnot, um, but maybe Dave being stuck up there in the above the wall. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> and then you are, your, your pickings are slim sometimes. Not everybody, you know, in, in certain areas, some people in my, my neighborhood might get mad about this, but in my area of Ventura County, man, the quality of dudes that, that I would put it on the line for is a lot less than other areas of California. There's a lot of guys about it, you know, in, in words, but not in action. You know what and I mean? I so, you don't ever want to be one of those dudes that talks about it and jumps not knowing, you know, who you are or what you want to do. Like, you don't want to be one of those flaky-ass dudes. And I think, you know, part of that has to come down to considering everything. And, like, you know, if you're going to be in one of these big elite clubs, you know, hopefully your brothers are going to be there like Tragic just gave the example of. But the other side of that is, you know, there's going to be times when you have to sacrifice time away from home for whatever the case may be. Yeah. And you have to, like, am I am I okay juggling that? And I think some dudes, they, they want to be Tragic. They want to that patch they want that allure so bad that they don't think about that and they just jump yeah. like if you're gonna if you're gonna sign up to be in a club and you've thought about it great dude i hope everybody around you supports you 110 percent. but if you jump and you've never thought about you know am i okay missing a birthday once in a while am i okay with not riding everywhere that i want when i want but but making sure that i you know consider my other schedule commitments like if you just jump without considering that shit you're doing a disservice to the club 
Absolutely. You, you can't you can't be a good brother in a club uh, if your family life isn't squared away. If your family yeah. doesn't support it, if they're not understanding, they don't have to love the club. They don't have to be involved in the club. But if they don't understand your lifestyle, your fucking life is going to be hell. Yeah. You know, you can't do that. With the, and that's another difference between, you know, you and the homies. If there's an anniversary, right, you know, you guys aren't going to schedule the, the ride on, on your homeboy's fucking anniversary with his wife, right? You're not going to yeah. give him a hard time because he decided to stay home with his wife on that. Um, I've got brothers who have rescheduled their weddings because a brother's funeral came up. That got set. And, you know, you have a commitment to make. We, we make a very strong commitment. And so... He, you know, he changed his wedding date for for a funeral for a brother, and, and not a lot of people would do something like that. Um, you know, both are serious, obviously a wedding and a funeral, and then that's an extreme case. But you know, would would have would just your casual buddy do something like that? And I'm not saying that casual buddies or even real close friends are aren't as as it's not less than. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's just a different fabric. I mean. In a sense, like, uh, you know, men, I think men have an easier time of becoming friends, you know, than than women do at times. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like all of our wives kind of get annoyed with our shit because we're all like, I come home and I'm mad. But then, you know, I pick up my phone and look at that group chat. and I'm like, oh, the fucking dragon, that motherfucker. You know what I mean? You're like, (laughs) you got a smile on your face and your wife's like, well, you weren't happy to see me. Like you're happy to see this goddamn text. It's like, oh, they they get, yeah, there's a little bit of not, not jealousy, I would say, but it's like, yeah, I I would call it, I I would call it jealousy, but not in a bad way. It's like, it's a natural thing for someone, you know, especially a significant other to, uh, to see that something is bringing you joy and not feel a little certain kind of way you know what i mean and like i said i'm traveling a lot on my bike and i do some of it solo but a lot of times i plan solo trips that turn into group trips and the wife sees that you know because like when i come to california to do this ride out there i'm riding california and that sounds all great but i'm doing three fucking podcasts a day every day all the way down the coast so it's a job it's a fucking job what, what part of the coast are you starting at uh san diego and then you're going up north all the way up to pretty much Petaluma. I think I got a couple scheduled up there and then oh, back yeah. to Phoenix and home. So it's just, uh, I mean, yeah, one day I get to ride the PCH if fucking the mudslides are gone. <laughs> so No, it's PCH is always on. You're going to have to stop in Moinimi, Oxnard area. Okay. Yeah, I actually go through there quite a bit. I got some buddies over there in uh, Ventura. So that's close to Ventura, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, for you know, this is a unique thing to me, but I I structured all my businesses around motorcycles, and motorcycles are my my hobby. Therefore, my work looks like fun. So when I tell my wife like I gotta go to Sturgis, she's like, "That's not work. You're out getting fucked up at the bars." Like, well, yeah, maybe PR. Kind of work. <laughs> That's, my brand. That's my brand. Like uh, get the brand out there. <laughs> exactly. It's a uh, it's it's a different thing for me. So. You know, I, 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 you know, when my wife first moved here, like I was in my club and, and, you know, she enjoyed it and then she didn't, it got to a point where she was kind of over all the other wives and being forced to drive in a car with her, them across the country while we were going to Sturgis and things. And, you know, and eventually like our, what we wanted to do with our life kind of changed. And that's ultimately what got me out of my club was I wanted to travel more and 
it felt weird riding across the country with a patch on. And uh, I was the only one that was doing it in my club. You know what I mean? And the other guys were slowly drifting away as far as like uh, their their commitment to this and shit. So it's tough, man. It, it's a tough balance. I mean, friendships are tough. You know what I mean? Period. And uh, I think that clubs have a good um, they have a good uh, way of making it work. It's just more brash. You know yeah, what I mean? There's a structure to it. There's pros and cons. There's the downsides of it, you know. But the the structure to it is what gives it the longevity. Mm-hmm. It is. So guys, guys that get frustrated with the the downsides of things. Yeah, there's downsides. of shit that's annoying. There's shit that you fucking you know. You're like, there's you know, not everything is is awesome all the time. But the structure is what gives it the longevity, and the longevity, if that's what matters to you, you know, making sure that this lasts. You know, it shouldn't be. I don't think anybody should ever join a club going, this is what I want to do just for a couple of years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you're joining a club and you don't see yourself doing this till the day you die and look at, there's other clubs out there who are a little bit more casual or whatever. And that's do that. But like a club like mine, if you don't see yourself doing this till the day you die, then fucking don't even bother. Yeah. So, so it's a perfect example. So, you know, a lot of dudes probably don't want to get into the more established clubs because of the prospect and hang around period. It, that tells you right off the bat, like if they're not willing to put in the years it might take to get into a club, yeah. you know, two years for the rest of my life is not a bad, it's not a bad uh, investment, right? Yeah. As opposed to, oh, well, this club only has a six month prospect period and they don't do hangarounds. It's yeah. just well, and that's part of the thing that we were just talking about earlier too, is, is you have to be real with yourself. Like it might seem to you, if you're into that really sexy to hang out with tragic cause he's nice to you and you can go to the bar with him and people respect you because you're next to him or whatever. Like that can be enticing, but you have to think about like the smallest nuances, bullshit, whatever. And be like, you know, is that something that I want to deal with or do 10 years from now? Like, you yeah. know what? You're having a beer with this guy and feeling people look at us and respect us or riding cross country and being invited to a party, whatever is great. But do I want to be doing, do I want to go to, you know, to a church, to a meeting on a Wednesday at seven o'clock for the next 50 years of my life or whatever the case may be, you, you know, yeah. for those more hardcore clubs. Like, you know, I think guys get so caught up in, in that initial romance. They don't think about the small shit. Like, do I want to be getting gas on some run? I don't want to be in BS sweating my balls off. You know, every couple, you know, every year, every couple of months, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking tough out here for a pimp, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think that uh, there's, at the end of the day, I think that uh, it, it. I feel like if you live in certain parts of the country, the uh, the club culture is much more stronger there, and it's much more uh, visible. It's not really like. You got to go you got to go to certain areas here in Dallas to see the club culture. It's not on Front Street. And that's obviously yeah. by design. But yeah. if it's not on Front Street, it's not very well known. Therefore, there's not a whole lot of you, you, that's kind of a good thing because you're going to weed out a lot of fucking, you know, stuff, but what is on Front Street is what we do. And we get people coming up to us and they want to hang out and ride and they like our bikes and they like what we do and some most of them end up being rad ass dudes because they see how we are as a collective, and then they feel like if they fit in or not. You know what I mean? So we attract a certain type of guy, and I think that's what clubs have always done as well. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe now with with kind of the bad history, not so much the 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 bad history that 
the bad history that's uh, being portrayed more or and less. Then, and just the pressure, just the pressure yeah. of, of how law enforcement treats it all. Um, your reference of it's not on front street. I look at it like clubs like this, like nobody ever gives you a, 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 a map to some treasure and it says, you know, treasure is 10 feet to your left. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it, the, the treasure map takes you through a bunch of different areas. So it takes you some time to find that, that, that thing that is going to be valuable to you. You got to work at it. You got to chase it. You got to find it. And if it's for you, you get that reward. If it's not for you, hopefully you fell off and you didn't get there and you know, it all breaks even. Yeah. At least, uh, you know, if it isn't for you, the, the idea is like, uh, is checking off. Okay. I wanted to see if this was something for me and I yeah. realized it wasn't. So I'm good with that. You know what I mean? That's, that's my thing. I like the, uh, I like trying shit. I like to see what I like to try stuff and see if it's for me. If I want to do this, if I like that, you know, I think dudes forget that that exists for clubs. Like that's what the hang around period is for. And I think yeah. some dudes, you know, again, we're just, we're beating up tragic cause he's in front of us as an example, but some dudes get so wrapped up in, in impressing him in that hang around phase that they, they, they're only trying to gain his acceptance. And I think if you're in a hang around phase for a club, that's wrong. Like you should be making sure that they want you and that it's a fit for you as much as you're trying to prove anything to them during the hang around phase. Like you're going to have plenty of time as a, as a prospect and, and maybe as a brother to go through that other shit. But like, you know, no other stage other than the hang around stage. Is it really your opportunity to make sure they fit for you? And I think some guys get so wrapped up in, in trying to impress that club or that individual that they forget all about that. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, they're into it and now their reputation is going to be shit because you know, a year and a half, two years later, they're like, you know what? I hadn't, never mind. I don't want to do this. Yeah. It's a tough one, man. Also, did I think Tragic Screen just froze or he did one of the two? <laughs> either, either that or he's having a stroke and we need to like call an ambulance because his face, his face isn't moving. He's I don't still- know. He'll come back. Okay. He'll come back if he's there, but I think we lost him for a minute, but he'll pop, he'll pop back in. I'll but yeah, I think guys, they forget about that shit. I mean, it, it's different too. Like if I was going to hang out with Jason's crew and the minute I meet him at a bar, he's like, Hey man, can you go outside and wash my bike? <laughs> like, you know, you know, that'd be a little weird and you might not come back into the bar uh, and, and stuff like that. Like, I think like clubs are building, clubs are building 10 years of friendship. Yeah. 10 years of a bond in that prospecting period or in that hang around and prospecting hang around and prospecting period, you're building this bond that most normal people are taking, you know, five to 10 years to build. And these are the methods in which we do it. Like I said, we were just going to hang out with the fast life crew. I'm not standing outside watching your bike while everybody else is inside getting it. What was the, uh, who got the old stripper in Sturgis? <laughs> Dirty Larry. <laughs> I'm trying to get with the old stripper. Like I don't want to be outside watching bikes. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, like uh, Sturgis is a good example. The campground that we we stay at and we try to get everybody to come to, it's full of different clubs, but everybody's kind of co-mingling. Um, and probably not the clubs that are all at rivalries, but there's there's some big names there. And, uh, you know, they still kind of keep to themselves. And, you know, they let us us guys out there that are being rowdy and building beer walls uh, do what we do. Um, and they're not like the, – the, the thing that sucks is like, it's it's I've never ever in my life had any issues with the bigger, more established clubs. It's always been smaller clubs that are trying to make a name for themselves, and they see a big group of me and my friends come up, and we're having fun and we're laughing, and we all have nice bikes, and all of a sudden, 
that's those are the club guys that we always end up fucking not not necessarily having a massive issue with, but they just they tend to uh not want us to have more fun than they are. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, I, think, I, I think tragic probably runs into the same thing. Um, obviously not getting in the club business, but just being a large club, I think sometimes your biggest annoyances, headaches, hassles come from smaller clubs trying to swing their dick around when they shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really get that too much. Nobody tries to swing their dick around me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, but yeah, an annoyance is though, is that, you know, the perception of, of things. And so when a club who is, and I don't want to use the term less than, but you know, like a, a smaller club or whatever, less established club, and they go to your same haunts, the same bars or whatever, and they go in there and act like big dicks and start swinging it around and act like tough guys. And then ruin it for you when you go in there, you know, and then you have to be like, hey, no, it's not like that. Yeah. You know, uh, please don't start fucking banning colors, you know, because, you know, me personally, I won't go in if if they won't let me wear my colors because that's who I am. That patch is part of who I am. I won't go there then. So that's the the biggest annoyance for small clubs is when they start they're the shit and start acting like it. While while you were while you were getting back on, uh, Jason and I were talking about like um, his experience in Sturgis and stuff like that. And I think that's a crazy uh, a crazy example that you just brought up. If you go to Sturgis, there's like what, two bars that I, you know in, in kind of the main area that'll let callers in, if 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 that anymore. And and to me that's crazy. Like like clubs are banned, and I know it's it's prevalent in, in all the major rallies, and you know even in some cities there's bars that just you can't go in and you're cut, you can't go in and you're colored, but if you ever been to like Sturgis or Daytona or whatever, like it's those dudes in affliction shirts that are like tossing chairs and breaking beer bottles and trying to fight over chicks more so than the club guys. Yeah. But I think the club guys, because if you do that sort of thing, if you get rowdy like that with a patch on, it's more hype than if it's two dudes with hair gel and affliction shirt. Like it's yeah. just, it's just a different medium, but they're doing the same shit. Most clubs, like- most, most legit clubs police their own. Yeah, there are clubs out there who act like dicks and start throwing their weight around, and they're usually younger clubs, and they're usually guys who are you know in it for the wrong reason, um, and they just want to be cool. You know what I mean? But most legit clubs police their own, and and that that kind of behavior of like shitting on everything, shitting on your community, you know, making a bad reputation for yourself for your club, and, and giving those businesses a hard time that you want to support. You know, th- those are those are reasons to get you know yourself in big trouble with your own club. Yeah, I think what really happens too, and uh, this is another bad part of just the, the the nature of what it is, is like you said earlier. It's like when you are a club the way you are, you get all these fucking dudes that want to kind of prove a point. You think you're a tough guy, you get this, and so you get a place like Sturgis, where yeah. Maybe at one point, it's like, put like this. If some fucking drunk asshole in an affliction shirt comes up to one of you guys at a bar and starts basically being disrespectful or something like that, and yeah. you check them, all they see is that patch beating up some dude. They don't see yeah. that interaction that led to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's just a very, very hard place to be because wearing that patch does put a target on your back from the police, but also – Fucking testosterone-driven fucking drunk assholes. Oh, yeah. 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 I, have, I mean, I have the benefit of, you know, being 6'8", 300 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you know, when sometimes I do get those guys who, who, you know, usually doesn't start that way. They don't come over like wanting to pick a fight or whatever. They want to come over and be friendly, and it's then they get they're a little too drunk and they want to get they want to start talking shit that they shouldn't be talking about. And then you kind of politely are like, "Hey, man, cool, N- nice to meet you. Send you on your way." Mm-hmm. And then that's when they take it, you know, and they, "Well, you're too good to talk to me." And then they, you know, puff out their chest and shit like that. You know, and luckily for me, that's when I stand up off the bar stool and I go, "Hey, man, we're good, right?" <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tough one, man. Like I said, it um, I mean, fuck, dude, I I don't know, like I don't know, man. I, I'm pretty stoked with this. I, I think that uh, we kind of covered quite a bit of the uh, the the back and forth. Um, yeah, absolutely, I agree. You know? a great I, think, show. I think we show that there's not a wrong way or a right way, like. It comes down kind of the, the it's the same love of the culture. It's just a different way of getting there. Yeah, and I think that where you live and where what you're surrounded by is also a big a big part. And the other thing that that you know I was kind of going to say earlier, but I kind of forgot. But I just remembered it was like sometimes if you don't live in a part of the country where it has the scene that you want, fucking move. You know, yeah. like if you like this club or you like this this scene then go move to it and be a part of it you know what i mean i know it might be harder for some people than others but um you know like that's that's something that like if i really wanted to be in a club and the club that i wanted to be in was here you know maybe maybe think about migrating to that area that has those opportunities that you would want to be a part of oh yeah we got in the inbox one time Hey, do you guys know of any clubs around in my area? And just a cursory Google search was like, here's like fucking 10 clubs, like all within like a 30 mile radius. No, I need something like closer and like within five miles, five, 10 miles. You got anything closer than that? Bro. <laughs> Bro, come on, dog. Like uh, so you might have to ride your bike an hour to get to, to meet some yeah. dudes. Fuck. That's terrible. Yeah. That's a tough no. one. I mean, you know, this was a great episode. We wanted to get it down. I think it gives people, you know, I'm not saying that we're educators, but I think, you know, it gives a little bit of the pros and the cons of each side of it. Like you see Jason and and obviously because of his, you know, his presence on social media, you see that side of it. And then also you're able to talk to somebody um, of tragic's caliber and see what he gets out of it. And then I think that helps people make their own decision, which is what this is all about. And And you're not pissing backwards on the culture you're not trying to join a club because you think you want it and have no idea and then ended up being a shitty person in that club you know it's like you can make an informed decision you can kind of oh yeah man jace made this really great point or man tragic really sold me on this and you can make the decision for yourself because that's what it, i yeah. can't make that decision for you You gotta fucking make it i think the best thing about it is that, that the ease the only thing you're investing initially to figure out where you want to go in life is time so if you think you want to be a part of a club, hang out that there's no other investment other than your time there and you get to see. And if you want to come do what we do, show the fuck up. Yeah. Getting into a club is just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. It's it's, like, it's not easy for say is like prospecting phase and certain things. And you learn, you know, if if you're willing to grow, but it's also not fucking rocket science. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like I said, it just boils down to, uh, you know, if you try things, it's a lot easier to uh, find out what works for you in your life if you try them, you know, and I tried the club thing and it didn't work for me at the time, you know, um, I don't hate it. I fucking cherish the memories I had running around with different bike clubs and things like that over the years uh, and my own, my, my own, is that how you say it? 
my yeah. own club. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it come out to Oxnard. We'll hang out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're you're getting ready to take off on a trip. You're, you're leaving in March. You're going to be doing California, and you've got a shit ton of pod. I mean, that's a fucking that's a full day's work. Three podcasts at two to three hours a piece. I mean, that's eight nine hours of work a day. Yeah, and then it's taking about a month and a half, and I'm still working on the itinerary. But basically, it's like I'm finding shops and nailing down them to be ready in the path that I'm going to be going. Right, so. When I hit San Diego, I do one, and then I move further north to the next one, then further north to the next one, and then staying here. And then next day, further north, further north, further. And it's like I'm constantly going north until I finally get to my last spots up in NorCal, and then I'll, I'll be turning back around. Spent a couple of days in Phoenix. My buddy uh, at Paint Huffer Metal Flake, he's, uh, he's doing some classes. And so it just so happened that I'm going to be there right when one of the classes starts. So I might uh, hang out there for a day or two and, like, do a little bit of teaching with with the custom paint stuff or at least learning for free because i'm part of his uh program <laughs> so um you, uh, you got any shops or people that you can tell us about or is that under yeah. is that wraps for still now no i mean i've got quite a few and one of the things that i'm really trying to do on this trip is uh two things actually one is i know it's been tough for a lot of california businesses to to get out this year this past year um and so with our podcast being very uh, substantially size-wise in the performance and custom motorcycle uh, industry, you know, I just want to come out there and give them a chance to talk about what they're doing. And then secondly, there, a lot of these shops are part of the Bagger Race League, the King of the Baggers type thing. And that's, you know, that's something I want. That's obviously in 2020, we had no motorcycle news, right? So it didn't really help for a podcast like mine where you're trying to carry like a conversation for one, two, three hours and you need content. And so you need, the, you're, you're like poking the industry, like do something motherfucker. Like give me something to talk about. Struggling to write for this whole year because it's like how many, you know, you can't, if you're not out there doing it, it's hard, it's hard to talk about it. You know, yeah, like, so, there's a stranglehold. So yeah. So that was the goal is, is basically get out there and uh, bring some of these shops on that are doing stuff. A lot of these shops are developing new parts for performance baggers. And so that's kind of like an opportunity for us to go and uh, give them our platform to to talk about what they're doing. So initially, I'm showing up. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of stuff with Lucky Dave's. It's you know Dave's a good friend of mine down there. Oh, um, so the bars I'm going to switch to. Yeah, do the best. I run, I run. I've always ran his bars in the seats. And uh, from there, I'm going to move up to Tech Temecula. Talk to a couple painters like Hot Dog and and Andy from Flying Iron. They're they're really talented painters. And then I'm hanging out with the uh, the homies over there in Dynatrash. I don't know if you ever met those guys. They're pretty fucking wild. So I'm going to stay at one of their houses, and we're going to party and do a podcast. And then next day is Track or Die, the Speed Kings, and Alloy Art. Then I'm going to be staying in, in, like, the Santa Clarita area. That's where my wife's kind of from. And then uh, go down to Long Beach and do podcasts in Long Beach the next day and then come back. And then going to be in, the, like, Chatsworth, Simi Valley area the next day. And then I'm going to ride the coast up to the Bay Area. And I got Ness, Unknown. A couple more FXR shops. Like, I think if this trip, if everything goes right, I should be coming home with about fifteen to sixteen episodes. And if that happens, then it'll allow me a little bit of freedom when I get back to catch up on work that I need to do. You know, so hopefully get our. You know, when when COVID happened last year, it kind of uh, we had this like really great growth going on that, that started to take place in January when we went to California last time, and we had like San Diego Customs on Lucky Days. Danny G, a lot of dudes in our in our little custom motorcycle industry, 
and it just fucking started skyrocketing for us. And then COVID happened, so people weren't driving to work anymore. So podcast numbers dropped. You know what I mean? And it's been kind of a slow build to get back up where we were at in uh, in basically March of last year. You know, and so well, hopefully this trip will put us back up there. Well, and hopefully this podcast will swell your ranks with all of our mammoth amount of listeners that we have. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, the fun thing about it, though, man, like is these podcasts. It's like, uh, you know, when I'm talking to sponsors and I'm talking to people about it, it's like people get so wrapped up in numbers, man. And I do, I do too, and I'm guilty of it, but I try not to, because at the end of the day, you're constantly building an audience and you're constantly building this thing, right? And so. One day it's uh, it's two people, the next day it's two hundred. One day it might be two thousand. Some days it is two thousand. It's just you just got to keep doing the shit. You know what I mean? And then it just if it works, it works. You know what I mean? So I dig it. I've heard a lot of people uh, that's reached out to me to from last time I was on your podcast. And um, like I said, the four for the or uh, uh, the two lane life guys. I mean they they reached out to me when you guys reached out to them. I was like, yeah, dude, those those guys are solid, man. They know what they're fucking doing. So. And uh, you guys have always been fans of traveling on bikes, and that's something that I think everybody needs to have in their life. So, you know. Well, and Ken's our Ken's our tech guy, so he can put all the links and shit like that, so people can find uh, you know the YouTube and the IG and stuff like that for for Fast Life Garage and for your stuff, um, especially the, the the photography work that you're doing too, the Fast Life visuals and stuff like that. Ken Ken's the expert at all that. I'd fuck it up. It would just be Pornhub if I did it. So that's how we have Ken. Yeah, that the the photography thing that was something that uh, obviously I've or I've always kind of dabbled in it, but you know when COVID happened, it's like I wanted to come out of that shit with like another skill, like a legit thing that I can maybe make money on. Um, and I've always loved that shit, man. Photography is one of those things, and also it's uh, it's like something that's right in our face every fucking day, and we don't really think of it the way that we used to think about a picture. You know what I mean? Like we take a hundred pictures with our phone and then we delete half of them or whatever, but. I don't know. I love I love photography, man. I actually I actually honestly love it more than I'd love painting, especially right now. It's just I can give it to more people and like the, the what's one great thing about painting a bike or whatever is that reaction of somebody going, Fuck, this is amazing. I love thank you. Like giving someone something is a fucking it's a reward in itself, right? Well, I can only give like fifteen dudes something a year, you know what I mean? When I paint. But when you take a picture of somebody or somebody's bike or like it's so when you're actually kind of good at it or whatever, like that photo, like I see it in their eye. I see the same like look in their eyes. You know, that sounds kind of gay, but I see the same, the same appreciation for what I just created for them. You right. know what I mean? Or sometimes people don't get a chance to see themselves through a, uh, someone else's lens, someone else's eye. And that's a good way to kind of show people who they are without, you know, them looking in the mirror in a sense, you know? So yeah. saying selfies, selfies don't do us justice. No. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna wrap it up, but you know, we can't thank you enough for for coming on and doing this. Uh, it's always a fucking blast to have you on. So thank you for your time. And and like I said, I think it was great to get different opinions today. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, Ken, yeah, you, gonna, you gonna do our outro since you haven't said shit? <laughs> yeah, man, I can do that. Nah, man, I'm just sitting here listening. You know, I, I I've I've spent the last couple of. Uh, Last couple of days, just kind of binging Jay's, uh, his podcast, the Fast Life podcast. And, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about it earlier today. Uh, the, the new year, new us, number three, that was with, uh, T Bar Jesus. T Bar Jesus and, uh, and, and Chamberlain. Yeah. He, 
I mean, that shit, that shit cracks me up, man. And I, I just, you know, I just want to let you know that, you know, we really enjoy that shit, man. And uh, I'm starting to I'm starting to understand now where Dave was coming from when he was telling us last time on his way down to Florida that, uh, you know, he doesn't listen to music much, like, as much as he does, like, listening to podcasts and stuff like yeah. that. And it's starting to make sense to me now. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's, it's a weird place to be, man, because, like I said, I, I'm not really a professional at it. It's like... It's like anything, like the way you guys have done your podcast is the same way I did mine. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as like kind of, I guess my brand's popularity has started to grow and it's like, it feels like it's on this rise even this year where it's going to grow quite a bit. It's a, it's a weird feeling, man. You know, it's a weird feeling of having a voice and people actually, um, listening to you and taking some of your opinions as gospel and, then you start like thinking in hindsight, like "fuck," am I telling people to do this the wrong thing? And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, you start to get like a little bit of a, like I said, a voice, and it's just like a you get a little. At least I have. I've gotten a lot more into my thoughts. Like, all right, man, am I am I doing the right thing telling these people to live a life like mine or or travel on bikes and you know all this type of shit? You know what I mean? Because my life isn't in no means in a great like perfect. You know, I got my own problems and things I got to deal with. You know, but. I did find a way to have fun on motorcycles. Yeah, <laughs> man. It's water. You can make them drink. Yeah, and that's the and that's the that's the that's the whole point of all of this, man. Is we're just sp- spreading our experiences and things that we've learned over over the years and shit. But you know, again, Jace, thank you so much for uh, for taking time for us today. And you know, we really hope that you're you're safe on the way home. You know, we're with uh with all that ice on the road that happens ever so often in in Texas, right? Yeah, it's every once in a while, man. But Oh so. man! Like uh, if you if you like, I don't know if you saw the footage, man. But there was this massive car pileup in Fort Worth today. Yeah. Five people died, and and I'm Jesus super Christ. sorry for that loss. But like, uh, the video footage is fucking insane. Watching eighteen wheelers full speed smashing into a fucking, it looked like some shit you see on a movie, man. Like some some Matrix stuff going down the highway in Matrix Two. You know what I mean? It's it's wild. Uh, but yeah, it's been crazy here. You know so. I mean, our, our thoughts and, uh, you know, our thoughts with those people that are going through that right now. Again, hey, man, you be safe on the way home. We appreciate it. Um, go check out the Fast Life lifestyle, really. You know, he's he's got he's got the shop. He's got the Instagram. He's got the he's got the podcast. Go check it all out, man. It's all it's all dope shit. He hangs out and he shows you doing dope shit with dope people, you know, like he, yeah. he described on our show today. So uh, and. Do us a favor. Go to our Instagram, our Facebook page, Four for the Road. Check it out. Drop a like. And then, uh, yeah, again, Jace, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And we'll catch all y'all next week.